the fuck you been, Foley? Good morning, folks, and welcome to episode 23 of Dude and a Monkey. Uh, I am steering the ship this week, and my name is Ian Loring, and as always, I am joined by faithful companion... Mark Foster. There we go. Hello, Mark. Hello, world. Um, and today uh, should be a good one, actually. We're both, um, we're both rather looking forward to this. Uh, order of the show, we're going to go through some uh, trailers as a bit of warm-up, and then we've got two full reviews for you today. Uh, starting off with Ariel Roman's The Iceman, starring uh, He's So Hot Right Now, Michael Shannon, uh, before getting into uh, a look at the recently released on US On Demand. Uh, you can watch it in the UK on US iTunes if you have the skills to pay the bills. It's VHS2, um, and... Along with VHS 2, I think we're going to be doing a general state, the state of horror kind of general talk along with that as well. We'll then get into some one old, one new. Uh, we'll then go into the future because we're not recording this bit on today's show as we record now. Uh, with the next of our double Demi marathon, taking in Ted Demi's 1996 film Beautiful Girls. And we'll probably then go back into the past and do some Twitter questions. Uh, but... Other than that, dudeandamonkey at gmail.com, at Ian Loring, at dudefoz, at dudeandamonkey on Twitter. And have you got anything to you want to add this week, Mark? Uh, yeah, actually, um, Becky remembered the brilliant name that we came up with for the um, Double Demi Marathon. Oh, hello. Uh, she remembered that we, we came up with the idea of calling it the Double Indemnity. I, actually, I think you came up with that. The double indemnity, yes. <laughs> yeah, which which I think we kind of forgot because we were both a little bit hungover. Oh, mate, I was fucking wrecked. Yeah, so, so, so yeah, the double indemnity. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, uh, bu- 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 um, Yes, yeah, no, yeah, 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 sorry. I got distracted by checking our Gmail. And there's no, there's no mails in there, so... Uh, uh, send us email. Yeah, yeah, go on, you bunch of bastards. Um, yeah. I'm not going to uh, go to Chinstroker versus Planet Root and call everybody date rapists, but um, you bunch of bastards. Anyway, um, right, Mark, trailers. Uh, what have you seen this week, my man? Uh, I've seen uh, this week uh, a few, actually, to be honest. Uh, saw a trailer for the new um, De Niro, Michelle Pfeiffer one, directed by Luke Besson, uh, The Family, which looks like it could be a bit of a fun little kind of throwaway film. You know, it, it'll, it'll, it'll 
be entertaining enough, having a few laughs. Um, it's it's what you kind of expect from Luke Besson now, these kind of quick 90-minute action films where you take somebody who isn't necessarily associated with the action genre and throw them in to do a little bit of action sort of comedy-esque thing. Uh, looks perfectly all right. It's nice to see Dinner Hero having a bit of fun, um, as he seems to be doing at the moment. Um, so the trailer for Getaway um, looks like somebody watched Drive and thought, oh, I could make that more of an action film. Uh, and then cast Ethan Hawke uh, wearing a leather jacket rather than a cardigan. And uh, Selena Gomez seems to be all set in a car. Uh, looks pretty dull, but I have no doubt I'll end up watching it at some point. Um, Sort the trailer for the new Woody Allen film, uh, Boy Who Jasmine. Uh, it looks absolutely fucking horrible. Um, the type of... Uh, I don't know, this really bland, self-effective... Um, Midlife crisis bullshit, to be honest. Yeah, mi- midnight in Paris already feels like it was a long time ago. Yeah, it's just I kind of watched it and thought that that looks horrible. That looks like a bunch of people feeling sorry for themselves. That none of them are very nice people. None of their problems mean anything. And the type of people who, are, who don't actually have a job, they just have a lot of money yeah. and they want to complain about hor- how horrible their lives are. But their lives are horrible because they've created these things. It's the, it's just, I know Woody Allen has this thing where he does a film a year, and he does almost like tours, where he goes somewhere and he'll make three or four movies there, and then he'll move somewhere else, and he'll bounce around doing that, but it, it, the kind of thing is, is, it feels like maybe he doesn't have 90 minutes worth of film to say every year, then maybe if he toned it back a little bit, you might get a heightened quality out of it, because... There's no use releasing a film every year if you, know, you get one decent one every seven years. Well, I mean, that, that um, Robert Weedy's, uh, uh, or Robert Wide, however you pronounce his name, uh, that documentary did Woody Allen a documentary last year. I swear, <laughs> like, they, they discussed his output in that, and they, they kind of basically put it down to him having some sort of OCD where he just has to have a film every year. Maybe you should look at doing something less narrative maybe it's just it seems like it's more it's more ego trip and his his will to think right people need to know what i'm thinking at the moment and i need to put it into these people this this person's me and it it, it has become a little bit like oh so owen wilson this, this year owen wilson is woody allen this year kate blanchett is woody allen and it's just it's, you know, I used to be a really big Woody Allen fan, and now I'm just a little bit bored. I can't even bother to watch them anymore. The cast is interesting. But these casts are always interesting. It just depends how fucking heinous the story and the effectiveness of it all can be. Um, so the trailer for The Way, Way Back um, looks... Similar to kind of like the Juno, um, Juno. Where the fuck did that come from? Juno, um, <laughs> little... <laughs> Juno, Juno, a uh, little bit sunshine aesthetic, um, and like Danny real life. You know, everything set in the 
you know, in quite bright sunshine where everyone wears flip-flops and shorts, and then at some point they'll be uh, seen in the dark and have fireworks. Uh, and, you know, it'll be perfectly lovely and everything like that, but you, you'll laugh a few times, but then you'll completely forget you even watched it um, six months later. But then someone will talk to you about it and you go, oh, yeah, I like that. But you won't watch it again. Yeah. Looks like that. Uh, Runner Runner looks like one of the most generic films of the year, uh, but I'm all up for watching Ben Affleck been a bit of a douchebag, so I'm behind that. Uh, and I also made the mistake of watching the trailer for the to-do list, um, which left me really, really angry. <laughs> Is that the, um, the the Aubrey Plaza? Aubrey Plaza yeah, one, okay. yeah. Uh, it just looks fucking horrible. You know, like the, the type of comedy that people will tell you that it's really yeah, funny. Sure. And we'll go about how, oh, it's really funny. It's, it's like, it's, it, it takes, like, you know, it, it's really sort of hipstery and all this lot. And it, oh, it's, it's so awkward and she's really you know, sarcastic. It's like, oh, fuck off. It's just shite. Mm. <laughs> it looks fucking horrible. And I know that, I'm, I know that when it arrives on VOD or something like that, I'm going to go, fuck it, I'm going to give it a go. I'm going to sit down, watch it, and then I'm going to come on here and rant about how much I hated it. So I just shouldn't watch it. But I know I'm going to end up watching it. Mm. But it looks fucking horrible. Uh, have you seen anything? Uh, yeah, Insidious Chapter 2. Uh, looks like more Insidious, which I'm up for, but um, I could very much leave the fat Gollum at the end. Um, that, no thank you. But, uh, yeah, uh, I, I like Insidious. I like the whole of Insidious. Me too. Uh, yep, so uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing what they could do with Chapter 2, even though I do wonder if, if, the heart, if James Wan's heart may have been in The Conjuring more. The, yeah, because that they out out like in the space of a couple of weeks. Uh, I, I believe the Conjuring comes out in July, and then Insidious Chapter Two comes out in September. Uh, but I, I I think the Conjuring has been around for a while because it was going right. to be released like I think towards the tail end of last year or the beginning of this year. But then Warner's moved it because test screenings went through the roof. And they think oh. that if they released it in summer and actually positioned it as a big film, they'll get more for it. And frankly, after the debut The Purge has had in the US this weekend, that makes mm. sense. Because it's, it, it's debuted very, very well, hasn't the, it? The Purge has made like nearly $10 million more than After Earth made over there last week. That's insane. <laughs> I'm, 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 I'm catching up on um, some podcasts at the moment. One of the ones that I'm catching up on is 35mm Heroes, because I was like four episodes behind. Um, and I got home from work when I walked home from work the other day, just as you guys were about to start your Purge review, so I've not heard the review of that yet. All right, well, I won't spoil it for you then, because bless you, and the listeners of both podcasts, I repeat an awful lot. We usually do do the monkey and then heroes. I repeat an awful lot of what I'm saying, but like because sometimes we do the main reviews are the same films, mm. you know. We, often, we do actually, listen, we do actually try and coordinate them with each other so they're not the main reviews. Yeah, yeah. We, sometimes it's just they just have to be. Yeah, yeah. We we totally do. So I mean, like for example, we're doing the Iceman here and we're doing After Earth on Heroes. Uh, but, last week we did we did we actually purposely did the Purge and Byzantium. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, yeah, exactly. And um, uh, uh, what's I going to say? Um, we're doing VHS two on Heroes as well. But to be honest, I think there's mileage 
in talking there, about. There, there, there certainly is, because essentially there's, you know, it, it's it's an anthology movie, so but we'll, we'll come to that later. Yeah, yeah, totally. Um, but yeah, I saw Runner Runner as well. Agree, looks generic as shit. Like, if that's the only film out that weekend, I'll go and see it, but otherwise, DVD or Blu-ray, whatever. Uh, oh, yeah, but that, actually, yeah, I'd agree with that. Yeah. Unless it gets fucking stellar reviews. reviews which it, which I, it won't. Yeah, I can't. It'll get, it'll get 7 out of 10 reviews. Yeah, straight up. Um, yeah, it looks like a paycheck for everybody concerned. Um, speaking of that, Paranoia, uh, which I saw this trailer two days ago. I don't remember anything about it apart from Harrison Ford's bald. Um, so there's that. Looks like the, 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 the trailer looks to like basically tell you the entire story as well. Uh, Getaway, I saw, looks, yeah, alright. And, uh, Closed Circuit, I, um, saw, which, uh, I'm a little worried about how much they're gonna be trying to do real life issues in Closed Circuit. And, you know, like, the government's got secrets, the government keeps things from us. The government might try and sap people up. Oh dear! Uh, mm. But as a pot boiler, it might be all right, and the cast is decent. But uh, yeah, trailers. Uh, cool. Okay, so let's do this then. Let's have a little clippy clip from the Iceman, and we'll get straight into it. All right, boy. Do you mind moving down the block? My daughter's birthday's going on in there. What? I have guests. My whole family's there. Maybe I should go and say happy birthday to her. You're doing hits with Freezy for Leo Merckx behind my back after what I've been through with Rosenthal? Now you're gonna send me to another funeral? I don't know what you're talking about. Don't lie to me. Who you think you're talking to? You lie to me maybe we'll talk to your friend Terry seems to think that you and I are friends I can't imagine what you've been telling them poor sons of thinking their dad's a decent guy what are you going to tell your wife I'm blow your kids heads off Okay, so that was a clip from The Iceman, directed by Ariel Vroman and starring Michael Shannon, Winona Ryder, Ray Liotta, uh, a greasy David Schwimmer, um, and Chris Evans. Uh, real-life story of Richard Kuklinski, uh, played by Michael Shannon, a man who has a normal family life, but is also a hitman for the mob, who really, really likes his job, and when he can't do his job, he gets a bit mad. Um, Mark, the Iceman. Yeah, uh, once again, um, I was um, in the glorious setting of my local view, and I was once again the only person in my screening orbit. Um, quarter past twelve. Wow, really? Yeah. Uh, to be fair, um, the it was a glorious Saturday afternoon, and the cinema was dead. And I mean, going in, it's a 12 screen cinema, going in on a Saturday afternoon at sort of, no, it's uh, actually quite, 25 past one it was actually, 25 past one screening, uh, I saw three other people in the entire cinema while I was there. 
I'll tell you what, so, the, the, the weather was really, not really nice here yesterday as well. But mm. when I went to see After Earth, there were quite a few people there at 10.45 in the morning. Not rammed, but a fair few people. The Iceman, uh, not the biggest screen, but it must have been about a third full. Yeah, well, I spoke to guys afterwards, uh, and they said, you know, last night it was, it, you know, they did they had a screen, the two screenings, one at half seven and one at half nine, they said both of them practically sold out. So, yeah. so you know, you've just been lucky, I suppose. Well, yeah, I have. So, anyway, I'll digress. Um, the Iceman, um, I mean, let's be honest, this is a, it, it's very much a performance piece. Sure. Uh, it's all centres around... Um, Michael Shannon and whether or not you know you, you like his performance, I think it would be very difficult to not like it because let's be honest, Michael Shannon is an incredible actor, uh, and this this kind of very stoic but powerful and forceful performance mm. is becoming a bit of a trademark for him. Um, and you, know, you have a wonderful sort of opening to the film where it's it's just a shot of him, obviously a lot older and clearly in some kind of prison setup where he's got a scraggly beard and it's it's almost in silhouette with very light kind of colour. If you were if you were squinting a little bit it almost looked black and white. And then you get that that very sort of low speaking voice that he has where it's quiet and very sort of mid De Niro esque. Yeah, yeah. Um, and he, he pulls that out and then that kind of takes you into it and you, you get into this story, and it, it, it joins the story before you know he becomes a a hitman. And remember, guys, we're all spoilers all the time. I know we say it every week, but that's just in case we have new listeners, which we always like. So we're all spoilers all the time. So if you've not seen it, I don't want to know. Skip across. Um, but yeah, yeah, so I think what the Iceman is is portraying itself as being is that it's a hitman movie. And it's about a hitman. And I don't think it is. I think what we've got here is a psychopath movie. And the psychopath happens to have got a job as a hitman, which just fits perfectly. And while he's a hitman and while, you know, his psychotic nature and his desires have some kind of focus and have somewhere to go, he's fine. But then when he has that taken away that's when everything starts to kind of unravel because he's got no focus for this, this weird kind of rage that's out there. However, that does kind of put the film in in a strange balance because it's it's got to portray the mafia stuff, but it's also got to portray the um, psychopath stuff while also being based on a true story. And, you know... Errol Vorman is very much trying to stick to the true story, and the thing about any sort of real life stories is, is you've got you've got two routes you can go down. You can go right. I'm only going to portray the facts as I have them, whether or not they're actual, absolutely true or not, are different. But the facts as you've got them, and you stick to those facts, and you go through the life to, to where you want to go, or you go right. Well, we're going to take the facts and we're going to create a film out of these facts. So that event might become a little bit bigger than it actually is. That person and that person might become the same person. And, you know, stuff like that might happen. Um, we might introduce this character that, you know, probably didn't exist, but we can pretend. And I think because the Iceman sticks so much to going right, we're going to stick exactly to what happened. 
at points it feels a little bit jumpy because there's points where not a lot seems to happen for a vast number of years. And you kind of go, well, what was he doing there? And the probable fact is, he's the, he, he, he was just killing people, that's it, and getting on this life. Yeah. Um, but we'll, we'll, we'll come in a bit more. What, what did you think of the, the Iceman? Yeah, um, <clears throat> I, th- I think it's a pretty, uh, a pretty ordinary film. Um, uh, but, but, you know, resting on the shoulders of a really fucking good performance in, in the lead. Uh, and in a way, that's about it. Um, it yeah, I mean, it, it, I wanted to like it more uh, more than I did, even though I I, I thought it was all right. Um, it, it it's that whole thing about like trying to stick to the true story while also or like almost also like trying to like mush the film into a kind of a standard crime biopic. Yeah. Um, and and I think. If if they were if they were a bit more daring with it, as I think Michael Shannon is with his lead performance at times, and Chris Evans is with his performance at times, then I, yeah, I, I, I think Evans, it would have been a better film. Chris Evans, it, it, I think he enjoys these um, these offshoot performances. Um, he's very much an actor that that understands um, his his capabilities, you know, he's very much, you know, when you look through his career, you've got, he's made a career out of um, the comic book franchises, you know, the Fantastic Four, and then being Captain America, and also sort of propping up and stuff like The Losers and stuff like that, but when you actually look at his films, he's often in some a lot more interesting stuff where he's quite clearly, you know, he's always a secondary actor, Uh, you know, he's one of the supporting cats, but it's obviously something that he's he cares about and he, he's interested in. So, so, you know, for instance, throwing out there stuff like Sunshine, um, not a massive budget film, you know, not a small budget film, but, you know, a very mid-budget to low-budget film in the grand scheme of things. Um, and then, you know, Street Kings and sort of stuff like that. And, you know, his role in Scott Pilgrim, um, films like Puncture, and then this all kind of fit in together into this, this way where he shoots off and he does something that's that, that interests him, where he, he often is very much hiding the fact that he's Chris Evans, essentially. Well, yeah, I mean, I, I get the sense that, like, from, like, reading interviews with Chris Evans and whatnot, is that his, his, like, severe reluctance to take on the Captain America role, it does feel like he genuinely doesn't want to be a movie star. He wants to no. be an actor, but he and his representation understand that he's got to do the high-profile stuff to even be able to do the stuff that he actually wants to do. I mean, it's one of those things where, like, I remember reading an interview years ago um, with Viggo Mortensen, um, and post, just after all the, the Lord of the Rings films came out, he did, um, what film was it? He did some, I can't remember what film it was called now. Hidalgo? Uh, Hidalgo, that was it. Um, and he, he he was looking at doing it and everything like that. And apparently he was talking to Sean Penn and he said, "Look, I've been offered this film, and they've offered me a ridiculous amount of money to make this movie. And it was like twenty odd million to make the movie." And he said, "You know, but I, I really, really don't want to do it." And Sean Penn's advice was, "Right, do it, take their money, and you don't have to do another one." Yeah. 
that's it. That's it. That's you set up effectively for life. You don't have to do another one. And now he doesn't. Vigo Mortensen doesn't do anything he doesn't want to do. Exactly. And I think to an extent, um, that's that's kind of Chris Evans' thing. It's the, right, I do Captain America. I do a couple of others. You know, by the time 35, 40, that's it. I can I can go. By the time my Cats and Mouth contract has gone, I can go, right, I'll do this because I want to do it, and I'll do this because I want to do it, and I've, you know, I've got enough money to last me. Yeah. I, I think there is a certain element element of that to it. Um, but anyway, jumping back to um, Iceman, yeah. I think that, yeah, it definitely is. There's You take out that central performance and throw somebody else in there, and you might have a very... Um, it might not have worked, uh, but the fact that you've got such an incredible performance by Michael Shannon, who's got this, he's got a grunt nature to him. He is this thing where he doesn't talk a lot. He's an actor very much who, he only says stuff if it needs to be there. Mm. And that's very, I'm going to keep harping back to it, but that is very De Niro-esque. I know, um, Tarantino said when he wrote the um, he wrote uh, Jackie Brown De Niro literally sat there with the script and a pen and was just crossing out lines and so Tarantino said to him well what are you doing he went well I don't think he needs to say all this and Tarantino had a bit of a conversation with De Niro I said you know it looks about this and like this and then De Niro just went kind of just said to him and turned to sort of looked at him and thought, do you know what? That's a better character. That. If, if, if he, anytime he looks like he's supposed to say something, you're expecting the Tarantino little burst of, of dialogue. If instead you just get. Uh, yeah, I mean, that, 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 that's true. That's almost like a meta kind of thing from Tarantino with Jackie Brown, actually. The fact mm-hmm. that he has so little dialogue. And the one bit where you think maybe he's about to, like, lose his shit at someone and maybe have a big monologue what does he do instead he just shoots her yeah and I think that's what you get with Sharon here there's a few moments where he does the instead of actually saying something you get the or the and it, it but he the way that this sort of film the psychopath thing works is if you've got a presence on screen and he does have a presence on screen yeah and he, he is a terrifying human. I mean, you get the feeling that Michael Shannon is one of the loveliest guys you could ever meet. Because he looks so terrifying in this. Um, but one thing that did start to grate on me a little bit is the fact that they keep on referencing how big he is in the movie. Oh, it's pretty much every single character. It's just like, you're a tall guy. Yeah, you're a big guy. Uh, at what point did you realise that the Josh Rosenthal character was David Schwimmer? Uh, straight away, because I knew David Schwimmer was in it. I didn't know David Schwimmer was in it. And I didn't see him on the casting or anything like that. And didn't notice in the first bit, but you know the bit where he walks into Ray Liotta's, um office at the Gemini Lounge? Yeah. Did that, and I did the thing when I was sort of sat down, and I sort of leaned forward in my seat, and I was looking and going, holy fucking hell, that's David Schwimmer. And uh, I was thinking, fucking hell, he looks rough. Uh, yeah, so, yeah, yeah. 
What do you think of another rider in this? Uh, yeah, all right. Um, I, I, to be honest, like towards the start of the film, I thought she was going to have more of a role than she actually does. Um, mm. There's, there just there feels like there's connective tissue kind of missing where like she'll be pissed off with him and thinks he's hiding something, and then like the next time you see it, see her, she'll be fine with him. It, it, it like because it has to span quite a lot of time. I suppose it has to do that because it it will jump like years or months or whatever. But it. The film, to me, seemed a bit confused as to whether she knew about, and knew something was going on or not. You know, it, I, mean, it, it, I don't know. It it never felt like Lorraine I... Bracco and Goodfellas. And I mean, like, good, you could reference Goodfellas all day long with this film, but it never felt like she knew, but she just didn't say anything because she had pretty things. Well, I mean, I think this... This film uh, um, it does it is very good fellas at points. The point of where he got re- really essentially almost playing, you know, a very similar character. Um, but this felt like somebody had, had got a handful of good fellas and thrown it at Henry Portrait of a Serial Killer, and you know just then gone and then picked up all the shards and put it together and gone. Yep, that's a movie. Uh, it, it felt very much like that kind of there was a lot of shots of just uneasiness within it but then it'd move on to you know I mean, the, 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 the weird kind of montage bits of the you know the killing montage yeah. that you get yeah, yeah, and yeah. then you get then you, you, you don't get another killing montage you get Chris Evans and Michael Shannon talking about killing a game and it's kind of like well quite easily this film could have been another 40 odd minutes long and yeah. you could have seen a lot more. I was when it sort of got towards the end, I thought I looked at my watch and did think this this finishes in twenty minutes. You know what's what's going on? You know, essentially, you've only actually seen him kill a couple of people. You've seen a montage of him killing people, but you've only actually seen him kill like three or four people. And for a you know a hitman slash serial killer, he, you'd expect a little bit. More and there was no the the issue there was, there was no depth to the to the the incidents. Well, it's it's all it, 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 it's all kind of showing but not really telling. It, it, mm. it, it, it's like well, these things happened, but there's no particular insight into it. I mean, you got that one scene where it's him and his brother. Was that Stephen Dorff? Yeah, it was yeah, yeah, Dorff, yeah, yeah. Uh, with with the worst stick on moustache I have ever. Scene. That did look like it was going to fall off at times. It, 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 it looked like a few times he actually pressed it back on. It's practically hanging off at one corner. Yeah, yeah, that, that yeah, that was brutal. Um, but like you, you've got that one scene where they're talking about their childhood and like it, like the, the brothers, the dirty, the, the dirty secret, and that is interesting. Mm. But then you've got all these like mob machinations, and I suppose if they happened in real life, fair enough. But you know, like and like Ray Liotta is such a big presence in the film, at, like in the first half, and then he's barely in it for the second half, and it. It, it kind of felt like, well, what was the point of all that then? Like the David Schwimmer character, and like that he was using his name, and it, it, it just it, it feels like that, that in particular feels like it was there just to fill time because it's not even that the Ice Man even kills David Schwimmer's character. It's not yeah. like he even has an emotional connection to him. It's not like they're friends. 
it, 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 it's there's a lot of points. I mean, like there's a there's, there's a bit in it where um, the James Franco bit where um, Shannon finds the girl in the closet, and then uh, him Chris Evans tries to chase her down, and yet they end up he ends up shooting through the window there, and then. You know, ten minutes later, Chris Evans opens a freezer bit and says, "That's the girl. You know, she's there and like that." Thinking, well, you could have shown me Chris Evans getting the girl. Mm. That, that's what I mean about the fact that it, it seemed to only want to show you the bits it knew about, and if it didn't know about it, it didn't want to take any artistic license to go at it. This. In theory, it, with the cast and the the story and the interestingness of the story, this could have been a two hour forty minute Zodiac kind of yeah. Goodfellas esque crime sprawling epic, uh, and it would have worked. But the fact that it's been shot down to a, a you know an hour forty five minutes, where essentially what you've got is a couple of interesting supporting performances from... I, I don't know Ryder's fantastic in this film. I, I, I think um, she's good. I just don't think she's got that much material. But, I don't think thing, anyone yeah. has. But, but that's it. You know, you, you, I don't think she's got a material. I don't think Evan's got a material. Really, uh, clearly doesn't have a lot of material because he looks like all of his performances were done on one day. Yeah. Um, David Schwimmer walks at the Gemini Lounge at one point and then... In another scene later on, eight years later, walks in wearing exactly the same tracksuit, and I thought, "What? Uh, really? No that, one. No one looks any older. No one looks like they've progressed at all." No, I mean, yeah, I mean, it, it, it just, I, I, I don't know. I mean, what has the director done before? It, it felt like a, it, it, it was underdirected to, to a bit of a fault. Yeah, um, this there could have been so much more, and it it feels like all you've got really are some interesting side performances and an incredible um, lead performance from Shannon, who is just magnetic as a presence on screen. Um, he's done a couple of films, but his last film, the director of Roman, his last film was in two thousand and six, uh, Danica, um, Marissa Tomei yeah. film. Yeah, I've seen that. Uh, yeah, it looks like a horror of some sort. Uh, you just... I don't know. I, I, the thing is, I I really like The Iceman, and I and I will I will watch it again. Uh, but I just feel that it... It wasn't as good... It, it The film wasn't as good as I expected it to be. Shannon was as good as I expected him to be. I had fun with it, but... I expected more out of it, to be honest. I expected it to be larger and more, with more to it than there was. When essentially it is just Shannon being this absolute force. Mm. And the rest of the film around it kind of lets him down a little bit because he's so good in this. Uh, I mean, the bit where it, they, they catch him and you can see him. He feeds the, 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 cyanide, the, the fake cyanide to the cat. Yeah, the cat, and the cat walks up and he looks at the cat and says, "You know, something's not right here because the cat's still alive." The fact that in you, you know, watching that, thematically watching that, you know that he's about to look out the window and the cat's just going to be there. Well, the the thing is, like, 
as soon as he steps out the door and there was like no one around mm. and it, it just like if like it was the it's the genre conventions mm. it's you know it's that part of the story it's that part of the narrative where he's going to get nabbed that is what's going to happen. And then, like, the cyanide thing is just a way for the character to realise that. But just, like, the way it was staged, it just felt like that that shot composition had been done in dozens of other films. Where There's a lot of scenes like that. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, it, it, well, yeah, I, I, think, I, I think talking about it, I'm to that point now where this story, this film, this cast, should have been given to another director. You know, it should have been given to somebody with a lot more talent and scope and idea behind it. Because this could have been a fucking 9 out of 10 movie. And what it ended up being, for me, was a 7 out of 10 movie. Which is still very good, but that's just because of how impressive Shannon is in it. I, I, yeah, I'm at a, between a six and a seven, and it is because of Shannon. Yeah, I think that if you'd have given this to, I dare say, I, I, I know we'll have back to it, but let's be honest, if you'd have given this to Scorsese, can you imagine how how much this would have been, how much better this would have been with somebody with more craft? Like, I, so, I wonder like what David O. Russell would do with it. Mm. You know, like, because I don't, like, he'd, I I think he'd indulge himself in the black comedy of it a bit, but I think when it needed to be dramatic and meaty and, and introspective, I think that would have been pulled off as well. Yeah, I mean, because the, there is, there is sort of some comedy element to it, you know, he's not a, he's not a hyper, he's not a, a complete, um, dour character, you know, he has some fun within him, um, and there are some moments of quite sweetness to him. But it just, yeah, it, I think there's a lot of directors that could have really fucking done something with this, this story and this cast. And what we get is we get just it, it feels so undercooked uh, as, yeah, a, as, as a crime film. It's like he's gone. Shit! I've got I've got Michael Shannon. I've got Michael Shannon, and he's 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 electric. So I'm just gonna I'm just gonna have the camera on him. I'm just gonna focus on that. And maybe it was you know it, it, it was a small budget film, it's only like ten million or something like that. And maybe they just didn't have the time to do it. So you know there is that. I don't know, but I really like the Iceman, but I, I think it just. It upsets me that it could have been a lot better. Yeah, it's it's definitely not shit. But if it definitely wasn't, if it wasn't for Michael Shannon, I'm not too sure where I'd be with that. Mm. I, I, yeah, I, I I perfectly agree with that. I think, yeah, it's definitely not shit. But you've got to manage expectations when you go into it. Yeah. I'm very glad we did that one first, I must say, now. Yeah. Right, okay. Uh, well, VHS 2 could get interesting. Yes. Uh, we'll, we'll, we'll take some breaks. Uh, well, we'll take a break for some promos. I'm going to go and get a, a non-alcoholic beer, and uh, then we'll get into VHS 2. Cool, I'm going to get a Pepsi Cherry. Yeah. 
Are you tired of film podcasts where the hosts exist in a constant blissful state of agreement? I mean, the main, the main characters are two of the dullest main characters I have ever encountered in any film. Well, you're in luck. Let me introduce you to Chinstro Crumpunter. One is an ex-film student with a penchant for David Lynch and art cinema. The other is a man on the street. Listen in perplexed and horrified terror as we tear apart one film a week. Just really, it's isn't. not visually striking. No, I just just getting confirmation. It's just getting, That's the third time, though. I mean, I must, this is on. You can find us at chinstrokeversuspunter.podomatic.com. So come and share the victory. If you could fuck any man in film, who would it be and why? My answer is Lance Henriksen. Oh. You wouldn't tell. He looks like somebody. <laughs> he looks like somebody who can keep, keep a secret. find yourself looking for a different type of genre podcast? Do you find yourself on the weekends wondering when you will find that one film that might change your life? Well, then maybe you should check out The Gentleman's Guide to Midnight Cinema with your host Big Willie and the Samurai. Bringing class to the trash since 1977 and rocking the house. You can find The Gentleman at ggtmc.com. to the trash. Right, so those were uh, promos for podcasts for people we like. Uh, we are now going to get into our review of VHS 2. Uh, this is available on demand in the US. Um, I have a US iTunes account. I bought a US iTunes gift card. I legally bought the film, in case anyone's got any... Uh, Issues. There are certainly films I don't legally watch, if I'm absolutely honest. But I did legally buy VHS too, because I know a lot of people, a lot of filmmakers in the horror community get awfully, awfully sniffy with people who do illegally download things. So I would like to say I did legally download it. So, so yeah, did I, by the way, as well. Sorry. So did I, by the way, as well. Yeah, there we go. So we um, both have US iTunes accounts. So, um, like, so, yeah, just... Oh, and by the way, Apple, if that's illegal, go fuck yourselves. Yeah, yeah, uh, exactly. If, you know, if I'm sure there's a, there would be a way of blocking the way that you can do it. And by the way, if anyone's interested in how you do that, feel free to email us or tweet, and I'm sure we can talk. I, I've talked, like, two separate people through how to do it this week alone. Yeah, it, it, it's a really good... The, the thing is, is... It's a good way to watch stuff like this without having to, let's be honest, download it illegally. Yeah. Um, which would be, is really fucking easy, to be honest. It, it is. Uh, but I, I'm like you, I, I very, you know, I, I do watch stuff that I've downloaded that isn't necessarily legal. Um, but it, it's one of those things where I, if people want to start bitching and moaning at me about that, I've got a wall of four and a half thousand. Um, DVDs and Blu-rays so I 
I would say I support you know the entertainment yeah, industry the film industry quite totally. well. Um, the, you know, for instance, beautiful girls that we're going to review for what's it? Um, I popped in my DVD copy to watch of it, and it looked like shit. There you so go. So I may have downloaded a, a high definition copy of it. So. There we go. There we go. Anyway, yeah. So, um, but yeah, it's just to say that you know we we did uh, we did pay for it. Um, so uh, VHS two um, sequel to last year's VHS that um, Mark and I actually saw together at Fright Fest, and neither of us were very impressed by it. Um, I hate it. Yeah. No, I I really really didn't like it as well. Um, and this kind of feeds into. Um, uh, 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 Luke JT ninety nine, uh, Luke, who I actually met at Fright Fest a few years back, um, uh, lo- a lovely, lovely gentleman, um, uh, tweeted us and like I wanted us to kind of talk about the current state of horror as well, and um, so we thought we'd kind of like meld it into our VHS two review, so kind of like a review slash dis- discussion piece. But um, let- let's talk about VHS two first because um, frankly, I'm not very positive about the current state of horror, but. But dot dot dot. Mark, what did you think of VHS two? Um, I was like I say, I, I despised the first one. I hated its misogyny and its pointless nudity, and it was everything that is wrong with the horror genre, which we'll come to later. Mm. Um, so VHS um, two went into it with a lot of trepidation. Uh, I watched it after you, so I'd seen that you really liked it and were very much soft for it. Uh, and it did open out with the, what I saw within the first 30 seconds was a uh, shot of some boobies that didn't necessarily need to be there and was immediately thought, Uh-oh. oh, God, here we fucking go again. Yeah. Now, this isn't a say that I don't like seeing boobies. I do like seeing boobies. It's just pointless boobies that I don't like seeing. Yeah. So I was like that. Um, but as with any an- anthology sort of series... Um, it, it, if you get, for instance, with this, you get you get five, you get four tapes, and you get the wrap round. Now, what I'd say is, if you like two out of those five, you've done all right. If you like three out of those five, you've done very well. And if you like four out of five, it's a it's great. And if you like five out of five, magnificent. I would say with this, I really liked. Three out of the out of the five, um, one of those three I thought was incredible, um, and two of them I thought were really fun and really interesting. Had flaws, but were really good. One I thought was just fucking dull, um, and being honest, I thought the wrap round was fucking terrible. Okay. Uh, yeah, I, I thought it was just it. It, it contained two actors who. I don't were they supposed to be a couple or partners or what? I think Colleagues. they were just kind of supposed to work together. Well, it's um, they the chemistry they had felt like they'd literally just met each other that day. Um, the guy in that rat round, the actor, is one of the worst actors I've seen in anything this year, and I'm including Dracula 3D in that. <laughs> he was fucking wooden to the extreme. Of, oh, do you want me to go to the store and get you some aspirin? I'll go to the store then. Yes, go to the fucking store. 
why did they need to be private investigators? It just that whole thing. It just felt like right. I I, I don't get it. I don't get that little bit. It that could have been could have made more sense than that. And the fact that at one point the girl's got blood dripping down her nose and going down her cheek, and at no point does he go, um, "You've got a bit of blood on you, do you want a tissue or anything like that." Just, oh, you're bleeding a bit. So I, I like think that. he's a bit weirded out. In fairness, I, I don't think that's an excuse. I, no matter how weirded out you are, you would still go, "I've got a fucking tissue or something." And also, right, right, you're sat. The girl is sat. And I'm getting the, what I'm doing now is I'm getting my negativity out of the way, sure. right? You're sat, the girl is sat at a laptop. She plays a little video clip, right? And the first little video clip can claim a little snap of the bit that annoyed me so fucking much about the first. One. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Um, and then she clips another bit, and there's this college kid, and they're looking for a college kid, and she doesn't go fucking Tim or whatever his name was. Is this the kid we're looking for? What she does is she watches 30 seconds of it and then looks at a tape and goes, ooh, that's the tape in this clip. I'll watch that now. Instead of just going, I better just watch and see what happens here for the rest of this two-minute clip. A minute and a half more and she might have gone, oh, all right. And I know that that would have made, it wouldn't have, you know, the rest of it wouldn't have happened, but it would have at least made sense. So anyway, I that will... pissed me off. I will spit, put a little bit of spin, potential spin, maybe, maybe. There's a bit where you're not really supposed to be concentrating on what the guy on the laptop is saying, but he says that the VHS is... Need to be played in a sequence. And can affect the cerebral cortex. Ah, all right, I'll I'll give you that, but I still think it's wank. And, yeah, I, I agree. I kind, well, I kind of agree... But I liked the wraparound. I hate it. It just, I thought it was an an interesting progression from the first film's wraparound. And it's introducing this weird mythology about the tapes and the group of people who collect the tapes. I I, I like that idea. But I'll be honest, during the wrap, I did find myself watching it going, her hair's magnificent. I bet she's a terrible person in real life, but her hair's magnificent. I don't, I don't know. I just... Fair enough. But I, I... I don't know. I thought that was interesting. And I liked the person just kind of walking around in the background. That, that was creepy. I, and I they never did any jump scares with that. Yeah, I'm guessing with this, we're basically just going to go through... We'll just tape. go through each one, but we'll yeah. do the, wrap, the whole wraparound first, I think, is fair. Cool. Right, so do you want to... Do you want to take us into um, the uh, clinical trials one? Yeah, sure. Amy, I, I will just say with the wraparound, the, the very last shot was interesting as well. Like, I don't quite know what they were going for. Mm. The, the yeah. thumbs up. Um, I, I, I think that was, that was kind of him saying the thumbs up was, that's my tape done. Sure, okay, fair enough then, yeah, yeah, yeah. But I, I, mean, I mean, and I really liked, I did really, really like when he shoots himself. And, yeah. And then the, the, those people come in. Like on, on the, oh, yeah, on, like, on the laptop, again, they come in. And, and, again, you, you're watching that, you're going, you sat there going, oh, 
like in a second they're going to come in at the back and you're going to know that it was just seconds before. Yeah, I I, I really maybe it was a bit obvious, but I really really liked that. I don't I don't know. I just thought there was a, a creepiness and an edginess, and I think it like that whole kind of messing with your cerebral cortex thing. There's like a weird mix of J horror and body horror that's kind of being introduced. I really. I think- and it's a world away from the first one's wraparound. I mean, this is this this because um, I mean, if the first one essentially was frat boy uh, misogyny, this one has very much taken from Asian cinema throughout the entire thing of it. I think. Yeah, I think it, it, it's that there's you know there's the fact that there's an Asian cinema segment in it. It, it is very good, but it, there does seem to be. Um, it does seem to reference that a lot. It does seem to be heavily influenced by, um, you know, Asian horror, uh, essentially. Yeah, and I, I, I don't know. I like. I mean, I will just, I, I will just. Say, I mean, like, yeah, like you said, I really, really like VHS two. I think we're getting to it, but I must say, it's really, really weird because they obviously can't have. It can't have been reacting to the like because I think VHS kind of came out and was generally met with negative reactions. I don't think it's a film that's actually particularly well liked. No, I don't think. It, I, I think you've you've got, and this will link into uh, my current issues with horror. Is VHS the first VHS? To me, felt like a horror anthology for people who like horror because it's currently cool to like horror. Yeah, and yeah, it's yeah. Not yeah. the people who have been watching horror since they were 11 years old. And it's not the type of people who, you know, it's for the people who the depths of their um, Argento are Susperia and, you know, probably Deep Red. Probably not even that deep. They've probably watched Susperia. But I, I would say that they've probably watched half an hour of Susperia and have told people how great it is and they've watched it. Um, Whereas this feels like there's a lot more depth to it, like this is actually proper horror rather than jock horror. Yeah, I, I yeah, absolutely. I think that's a really good way of saying it. Actually, um, um, yeah. Uh, so yeah, going actually getting into it, um, clinical trials, which is directed by Adam Wingard, director of um, uh, the upcoming Your Next, um. And uh, the really rather good uh, A Horrible Way to Die. Um, he also directed... He actually directed the wraparound in mm. VHS. <laughs> yes, he did. Uh, so, yeah. And uh, Clinical Trials, for me, is the weakest of any of the segments in uh, yes. VHS 2. Uh, though I will say, I didn't hate it. Um, I, I'll agree there. I, I, I definitely didn't hate it, but it is clearly the weakest and to me, it felt like Adam Wingard sat around and went, what am I going to do? I'm going to do this, 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 I'm going to do this. And then someone went, Adam, Adam, and he went, no, no, it's this crap, and this crap. And he went, Adam, Adam, yeah. Um, I take it, you've seen The Eye, and he's gone, what? You know the, the, yeah. the Japanese film, The Eye? And he's gone, why? Because that's basically the story of The Eye. And he's gone, uh, it's a bionic eye. Sure. Fine, fair enough. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it, and I mean, like, it, it starts up and you're being introduced and it's like this company who have put the eye in and, like, for it kind of sounds like there's some nefarious reasons going on there, but 
then it's suddenly it's just he can see a load of ghosts and then a girl comes round to his house and takes her top off. Yeah, um, that bit, right? I know how to stop them. What by fucking him? That for a start off, she doesn't explain how that stops them, and secondly, it doesn't stop them. So that again, and this in fairness, it stops them at that in that moment. They probably just look at their watches, all these dead people going, "Well, we'll let him have this." Yeah, yeah, that, that's, we'll that's, that's fair. We'll let him have this bit. Even though, and I mean, I will say, like that bit, it for me that felt a bit more playful than the nudity in VHS. There's none of this. Oh, fucking hell! Look at that! I'm gonna fucking take her fucking clothes off and look at her tits. Yeah, it, it, it wasn't. It wasn't as. It wasn't as bad, but it. It, it's yeah, I, the first 20 minutes of this and my issues with the first one it was a little bit of me going oh dear uh, yeah. Yeah, but a Shannon moment yeah 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 yeah, yeah. Um, but I mean I, and I, I thought it was quite funny uh, the moment afterwards where he's saying like I want a copy of that you know it, like, <laughs> yeah. I, you know just fair enough like because with the first VHS, it kind of it, 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 it did feel misogynist it did feel like these are men who hate women um, with this, I mean, that it really did to me. VHS did feel like it was directed by a bunch of men who don't like women very much. Um, this didn't. Yeah, and the, the fact that he, he says he wants a copy of it, and he, he says, but then he does say, don't watch that. And then you're thinking, well, how will they know yeah. that, they want, that you want a copy of it if they don't watch it? Yeah, no, it, 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 it felt like that, that you're supposed to think that. It did feel that was quite clever. It, it, that one felt a little, like you say, it did feel a little bit more playful than anything else. Like it was supposed to be a little bit of a comedy, in a way. Yeah, yeah, no, abs- abs- absolutely. And it was a lighter moment in in a in a kind of a short that hasn't got a lot of light moments. But the rest mm. of it is basically a bunch of J horror scares. Yeah, uh, and and that is that is about it. Um, there's there's not a lot to say with clinical trials to be honest. Uh, it just like no. it, it it is the bottom of this uh, of the whole thing. But, it is, but it's perfectly watchable. Yeah, but I'd still say it's a three out of five. Yeah, well, I wouldn't disagree with that. No, it, 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 like I I had I had a good enough time watching it, and I I you know the first first person perspective it, it, it just it brings a certain amount of intensity, which is good. So. Uh, moving on, uh, A Ride in the Park, directed by Greg Hale and Eduardo Sanchez. Um, yeah, Mark, what, what do you think of this one? Um, the first kind of three or four minutes of it, uh, I was... Once you find out that it's, it's a zombie flick, uh, I thought, really? A, a, a zombie flick in, a, in an anthology? Um, this... How, how is this going to work? And then when you find out, when you work out what's happening is that, that you're, going, you're going to see a zombie film from the, a guy just going out for a ride to him encountering a zombie, him being bitten by a zombie, him becoming a zombie, and then him going about the zombie business. And once you realise that what you're actually watching is a comedy, uh, which I thought this one was, this is a, this is a horror comedy, A Ride in the Park. Uh, or it, it was to me. Anyway, did I completely misread this? Mm. Um, I thought it was brilliant. I really enjoyed it. I thought it was a really kind of sweet little 
um, 12 minutes. I, I really enjoyed it. Thought it was it was funny. It was kind of jaunty. It was it had a lot of levity to it. I I really liked it. Yeah, um, I I thought it was very very wise that it was like it was the shortest short, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. Like, yeah. By by a stretch, it felt to me as well. Um, and, and I think that they wisely knew that it is kind of one note. So mm. let's be quick about it. Yeah, let's finish it, it, it quickly. Yeah, and um, I, I appreciated that. Yeah, I, I liked this one as well, uh, I, I, I must say, uh, more than clinical trials for, for sure. Um, I, 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 yeah, I mean, I, I thought the, the tone, the, the comedy stuff I thought was a little bit out of, like the comedy so- sound effects, basically. And the, the, the looks of the zombies. Yeah, they all. In fact, they all look a little bit kind of happy and confused. Yeah, but I mean, yeah, exactly. And just like that, that, like him just going, nom 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 nom. Yeah, you know, it just it. it, I I I don't know. Considering like the emotional impact, the the ending of the short kind of wants to have. The fact that a lot of it's played for laughs, I I thought was a bit just it didn't click. Yeah, I think with with me, it, it definitely clicked. Once once my brain went, hang on a minute, this is a comedy about a zombie. I'm fuck it, yeah, I'm for this. Uh, I I started to get on board with it from that. So I I, I relate to the part, but there's not really genuinely. It's it's a fun little ride, but there's nothing to talk about with a ride in the park. Yeah, no, that's just. Um, it essentially is a guy goes for a ride, gets bitten by a zombie, then he chases a few people, then he realises that this is it. This hunger he's got is all he's got, so he does what he does. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, Even I, I will say as well, technically it's impressive. There's, um, I thought there were a couple of how the fuck did they do that kind of moments, like being run over with the car that I thought was yeah. pretty rad, actually. So, um yeah, I mean it's it, it is the slightest of of the shorts, but uh, it's definitely not without its charms. Um, and then we're on to uh, how the fuck do you pronounce the co-director's name? Uh, what is uh, Gareth Evans and Timo Giaganto? I'm going to go with. And uh, this is uh, Safe Haven. Uh, which is the it was the most heavily buzzed about one from the early reviews. I think it's fair to say. Yes. Um, yeah. Without question. Um, personally, I'm not surprised. Uh, mm. Mark, it's an incredible short film. Yeah, sure. Um, like the fact that you know they approached um, Gareth Evans uh, to do it great you know a great idea of approaching somebody who necessarily isn't steeped in the horror genre as to say um but uh, could obviously do interesting things on a a budget and b with physicality as well um you know the raid is a very physical movie and it's a very atmospheric movie and if you take those and you think right he can do that with essentially a what is essentially a martial arts movie, if he can take that and apply the, that logic to a horror movie, you know, he clearly has the talent to do that. So I liked that. I liked the way that Gareth Evans very much stuck with where he works and it, you know, it was, you know, in time. I liked that. Cause it could have been 
there could have been this thing of going, right, come over here and make this, and it can be your introduction into US filmmaking. And it, it is, but he's still done it as he would do a movie where he makes movies. Uh, um, in, you know, in Indonesia and Thailand. So I, I, I liked that. Um, it's incredibly creepy. It looks brilliant. It's got layers to the story, but it still, but it still feels, doesn't feel rushed. Um, it, it's the sort of thing where people would say, "Oh, I, I wish that was a full movie. And I wish that that was a, a, you know, an hour and a half, two hour movie." It's like, no, if that was an hour and a two hour, two and a half hour movie, it 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 wouldn't work as well. It wouldn't be as punchy as it is, and it is very punchy, and it's it's scary and it's freaky and it's got some fucking fucked up imagery, and it it, it all works really well and it's quite manic. Um, and I, I thought it was incredible. What, what did you think? Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm right there with you, actually. Um, it, 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 it takes filmmakers of quite some skill. And I must, I must say, in full disclosure, uh, the, uh, uh, Timo Giugianto's um, short in the ABC's of Death, I think it was always for Libido, uh, was one of my lowest points of, of, of that particular film, even though I thought that film was full of low points. So that's much more muchness. But, um, it, it, it takes some skill to be so creepy and rather harrowing, and yet so much fun. Mm. Um, it it because it, it, it's like a grab bag of horror, like imagery and and kind of horror, like specific horror subgenres. Like you've got a Satan, like basically a Satan cult. comes to Earth film, yeah, a cult film. The undead. I, I didn't really like that bit about it, to be honest. What the people coming back? Yeah, I thought that was a little bit. It, I could have done without that. The the but, imagery but of the, the undead ner- women holding her down. That that works. That works. But like the other characters that have gone in, the other members of the crew that went in with him, them coming back to life, oh, that okay. didn't work. But maybe the narrative of the why I didn't think that didn't work as well for me is because I just watched a zombie short and there was undead in the one before it as well and it felt like right undead zombie undead you know yeah it, sure there was there was a lot more else going on in this that I didn't maybe need that but it it's a you know it, it's a real nitpick it didn't bother me it just made me think really did it need that Mm. Yeah, it might need it. It might need it because it might, it might not be in it. It might not have worked as well for me. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, and I mean, the thing is, I mean, there's proper hardcore imagery in here, mm. but not of the "oh shit, dude, that's badass" kind of imagery. It's like that's fucking mental mm. kind of imagery. Like the the Satan thing birthed out of the woman. Yeah, like that. <laughs> Is shit I'm not going to forget in a while. Yeah, and the fact that it, it, the fact that you watched it come out and it, it, it's so much bigger than the woman is brilliant. Yeah, it's so playful, but still manages to be really, really fucking creepy. Yeah, that's that's the thing. It it is play it is playful, but it is creepy. And like the the cult leader, the fact that his performance is actually quite comic in moments. Yeah, that, that when he jumps up on the table, rips off he, he rips off his shirt, then jumps up on the table, and then you realise the reason why he's jumped up on the table is because he's pissed off that the guy interrupted him again. 
Yeah. And you get the feeling that if that guy hadn't have interrupted him again, he wouldn't have stabbed him in the neck. Yeah, totally. It was pissed off because the guy interrupted him. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, it just... It, it's, it, it somehow balances two really, really disparate tones mm. and works. And, and yeah, it, that's a hell of an achievement. Yeah, and what did you think of the last sort of 20 seconds of loved that? Loved it. I loved it as well. Because I think that that's a very risky move to take, to essentially throw in what is an oh fuck kind of virgin on comedy line what you know but i think they landed it perfectly yeah and just, just the way that the guy is just sobbing into the fucking camera yeah it is and it, it, it's you know the, the fact that it's it's it, it taking the piss out of a horror film at that point with the the fact that there's so much soft saliva and snot coming out of him it yeah. is clearly a nod and a wink to um blair, blair witch. witch yeah sure which works, and the just the, the the demon goat thing. It it was it was magnificent, and it was a very much a it was like a door slamming kind of thing. Of but once it's like bang, that's it, done. Fuck it, you've nailed it. You yeah. have absolutely nailed exactly what a a short film within a horror anthology should be. It should be have the depth and everything of a horror film but have a build up that lasts three or four minutes and then go bang and throw as fucking much at it as you can but you know making a short horror film in an anthology to make one that good everything has to work and every room that that guy's running through it works you've got all the weird little girls holding up the legs and the arms that works they were in another room where the guys have just shot themselves in the head. Works. Another room. Somewhere else. Somewhere else. And it all works so well. Mm. Yeah. Uh, no. Absolutely. Yeah. No. I'm just in agreement. It, it's. It, I don't. It's. It's. It's something that just makes you think. Fuck me. There are still people out there who aren't being lazy. And. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Sorry, Dom. And it, it also, from a, from a directorial point of view, it, it makes you look at it and go, wow, so the raid wasn't a fluke. Yeah, totally. It, you know, we have, in, in our terms, we, we might have a pretty fucking special director um, on our hands. You know, the raid 2, can't wait for it. Um, and it makes, because the problem with the raid 2 is, you're looking at it thinking, well, shit, is there a possibility that it's just going to be the same movie? Um, whereas now, I'm like, do you know what? It's not going to be the same movie because this guy has a has craft to him. Yeah. Because, you know, when you look at this movie and how good it is, he's it, it's, it's magnificent. Yeah, totally. Absolutely. Um, so, yeah, that's, that's, that's Save Haven and I think for both of us, it's by far the best like yeah. segment of the film um, but yeah so we, we end off then with uh, Jason Eisner's uh, of Hobo with Shotgun fame uh, uh, Alien Abduction Slumber Party um, which I actually I, I actually quite liked um, yeah I, I did I, it, again it was it was a lot of fun yeah you know the 
the, the, the kids. What you've got there is you've got a a nice little trope of you've got two kids who've been left for the weekend. You've got the older sister who's obviously looking after the younger brother. She's got all her friends round. He's got all his friends round. His friends are basically making it their mission to wind her up. Yeah. Uh, and the, you know, the, the the great bit where. Uh, she's getting it on with a boyfriend and they run in with the ghetto blaster. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it starts going. I was laughing my ass off at that bit. Um, and it all worked. I mean, I, I had a few issues with this, but it was it was freaky, it was fun, it was punchy, it was good. Um, and I thought it, it all worked up until the last shot where I just felt like it was a little bit like, oh, you've... you've uh, why do yeah. that? Why do that? You know, you, you'd made a great, fun little shot, uh, and then you've just you've made it a little bit ugly, yeah, and a little bit unnecessary. I thought, you know, you're better than that. Yeah, I, I actually brought that up in my written review for Nerdly as well. Um, it, 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 it takes away just the, the playfulness and the funness yeah. of what you've just seen. It just felt. Uh, do you know what? No. Um, You've you've done everything right, and then at the last minute, you know, when you're about to go out the crescendo, you've gone. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, I mean, I, I mean, I, I'm I'm a dog lover, um, but it's it's not just because of that. It it is because that just it, that felt a bit too mean it, for, it for what I've done before. Yeah, and it, it felt completely out of place with everything else yeah, that you've yeah. just seen. You know. It, fair enough, the dog can drop, but he could have landed on a bouncy castle, or he could have landed in the pool. Oh, just don't show it. Just, or, just or, don't show the shot of the dog. Just have yeah. the have the camera fall down to the ground and cut. Yeah, it, but yeah, it, it just it didn't. It, it just it felt a little bit grimy, but not yeah. in a good way. Grimy in a a very cynical way. Grimy, and I, you know, Jason Isaacs doesn't seem like that kind of filmmaker. To be honest. Well, I mean, Jason Eisner is is the filmmaker who filmed uh, a, a bus full of school children being set fire to. But they, but uh, but that worked. That worked in the tone of in, that film, it worked. In the tone with weirdly, that film, yeah. this didn't at all. It, it, mm. You know that the butch, you know the the, the um, school bus of, of children on fire. That was the. It worked because it was a guy trying to prove how fucked up he could be. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. that worked. This was just, oh, and then we'll throw a dog at the ground. Why? You don't need to. Yeah, I, I, think, I think that's fair. You achieved everything you, you set out to achieve with that film. And then you've shown me a dog dying. I don't want to see it. And it's, it's not the dog thing. It's not the thing of you can watch as many people killed as you want in a movie and it doesn't bother you, but you see a dog die... And it makes you go, oh, it, you know, it, it's not that. It's just it was in complete Congress for the rest of the the short, and left a bad taste in my mouth after it for what was a short that I really enjoyed. The aliens worked brilliantly. You know, I, the, I, I loved it. how intense it was, where like yeah. the lights just started flashing and all that noise. Mm. It's really effective, and the fact that he never focuses on an alien. The fact that they never mention the word alien. There's no mention of what they are. 
uh, works really well, and the fact that it's so punchy. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I really like, you know, take away the last 30 seconds. I really like this. It's my second favourite of, of all of them. Uh, and, it, you know, again, take away the last 30 seconds, it worked so well, and it was so much fun that I, I really liked it. Yeah, uh, yeah. No, I mean, I, I agree. Like the first half of it is is very very playful and just having a laugh, and and yeah, and it, it, the, the, and then the, when it all kicks off, it kicks off really intensely. Just like mm. the, the the camera being chucked around in the air, and then suddenly it's like bang, like the kids like in the like the the water and like the water's rising up or whatever, you know, and it, it's just like the, the sense of confusion. It's, it's really, really well done. And the idea of the, the camera being on the dog yeah. and not being on a person, brilliant idea. Yeah. Work, works really well. And I thought throughout the entire thing, the, um, you know, the, the idea that this is all found footage essentially worked well. You know, you felt throughout the entire thing that not at one point you think, why would there be a camera there? Or what's that? Why have they got that shot? I never thought that throughout the entire thing, which could often happen with found footage stuff. Yeah, no, abs- uh, yeah, absolutely. Um, I don't know. I think I'm done. I think I'm. I'm I think yeah, I'd say I'm done. Um, so overall, without question, I'd say that VHS two is definitely not shit, yep. and and. Not only is it a vast improvement on the the first one, uh, which would have been fucking difficult to have got much worse. To be fair, um, it's 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 a very very good horror anthology. Mm-hmm. Yeah, agreed. Uh, definitely, definitely not shit. And um, I don't know. It, it, I suppose kind of um, a segueing. It kind of shows that there there are obviously directors out there who. I, I don't know, are trying to push things. And then with VHS, it was a bunch of directors who just felt like horror audiences want misogyny, the same old scares repeated, mm. and just a lot of boring gore, which yes. is what VHS, for the, for the large extent of it, was. Yeah, it, it, it was... It was a lot of it was unnecessary. It was right. It, you can show me God. You can show me tits. You can show me all that. That's fine. I had no problem with showing me that. But fuck, is that all you've got? Yeah. Have you got no build up? Have you got no way? Have you got no atmosphere or anything? Is is your atmosphere? Oh, look at look at this arm getting ripped off, and oh, look at these tits. Oh, uh, uh. Is, really, is that all you've got? Because if that's all you've got, fine, but I really don't want it. Yeah, I mean, um, I, I, mean I, I think what kind of started that was Eli Roth with the Hostel films. And personally, I'm actually all right with the Hostel films. Uh, but... Right, I have, a, I have a question to bring up here. And okay. It seems like a good, a good place to bring it up, right? Um, and let's, let's take Eli Roth um, as a for instance, right? Uh, because it, it is a good place to start, because the whole torture porn thing has become a big thing of um, of horror, um, and it, it, I personally think it's had a massive negative effect on horror. Sure. Um, right. Steven Spielberg, Guillermo del Toro, um, Eli Roth, and a few other directors 
are people who often get, and Tarantino is another one, often get credited as a producer to headline a film. Sure. Steven Spielberg presents. Quentin Tarantino presents. Guillermo del Toro presents. Right? Now, the thing is, del Toro, Spielberg, uh, and Tarantino, and there's a few others. What they've all got there is a gravitas to present a movie. And the way that they've done that is via Jaws, E.T., Pan's Labyrinth. <laughs> okay, Prona, I see where you're going with this, yeah. Um, Reservoir Dogs, Pulp Fiction, etc., right? Can you, or can anybody, tell me where, where's Eli... And I, this is not an attack at Eli Roth, because I've seen Eli Roth, and Eli Roth, it, it, it seems like a, a good guy, a nice guy. Anything like that. And I, I don't want to attack Eli Roth. But I kind of am going to a little bit. Where's where's his horror masterpiece? Where's his, his great film? Where's his beyond 7 out of 10 film that gives him the stature to be an Eli Roth Presents? Um, I think Fever's alright. Hostel was, had a lot of publicity behind it because of the imagery but you know is it a good film yeah it's all right is it a great film no i think where's his his great film i think he's a bit of a showman and i think he gets that eli roth presents thing less from the films he's made but the fact that he is a filmmaker but by the fact that he relentlessly promotes the stuff but it, it also, so, so what we're saying that Eli Roth it has the gravitas to present a film to us, not because he's a great filmmaker, because he can talk about horror really well and he can turn up and look handsome at premieres. I think that is enough for some film producers or, or distribution oh, companies that, to give it a really go. Isn't that a really fucking sad state of affairs? Yeah, it is. It is. Um, I, I, I said I don't have a go at Eli Roth because I, you know, I've, I've spoken to people who've met him and say he's a lovely guy and he knows his shit about horror. But just because of that, is that enough for him to have made a career out of presenting pretty piss poor films? Uh, yeah, I mean, in, uh, yeah, I mean, in fairness, the latest one he presents, Aftershock. Which I was about to watch until I heard your review. It's everything. I mean, Aftershock is 85 minutes of everything that is wrong with mainstream released horror in 2013. It's almost as an exercise, it's worth watching Aftershock. Well, I I am going to watch it at some point, but I I was... I have a thing where I do watch a lot of shit, and I watch stuff that I know is going to be shit, but I'm prepared to give it a chance. But... I'm prepared to get a chance on the proviso of one thing that I've got that I'm going to watch it as part of watching two films that night because I don't want to go to bed going I just watched something that was shit that I knew was going to be shit and now I'm going to go to bed. I always want to watch it with something that I know I'm going to watch afterwards that I might enjoy more. I it's yeah I mean it's. it's almost like it's taking the piss um, Aftershock I mean it's basically it's half an hour of let's watch Eli Roth in Friends Party Mm. and then there's an earthquake and then 
over, like, basically over a loudspeaker, someone says, the earthquake just made a load of prisoners escape from the prison. And and then the, the last half an hour is anyone with a tattoo is a ra- uh, will turn immediately into a rapist if the tattoo is discovered. And I'm the, the, yeah, yeah. Well, <laughs> I'm gonna be raping bitches all over the place. There you go. And and and, and the final girl is the whiny. Everyone's been taking the piss out of her because she doesn't spread her legs. One. Yeah, uh, it, it, it's uh, I ah uh, 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 aftershock is I don't know, but yeah, I mean like Eli Roth's presenting it, and I mean like he presented the Last Exorcism and the Last Exorcism Part Two. I, the Last Exorcism I think is okay. Yeah, I think it's it's it, it's okay, but I'll ne- I won't go any further than that. I, I've got it on Blu-ray. I've watched it once. Do you know what? It, it's probably never going to get opened again because I, I have no interest in watching it again. <laughs> Not because I didn't like it. Just because I've seen it, and I'm somebody who rewatches films a lot. Mm. Uh, but I think it, it, this feeds into what I think is is my issues currently with with modern horror, uh, and it feeds back into something I was saying earlier. I don't think horror is horror as a as a genre is necessarily in any worse state now than it was three years ago, five years ago, ten years ago, fifteen years ago. I just think it's what it is, is at the moment, horror is cool. It's cool, you know. Outside of the, you know, the, the summer blockbusters, two of the big movies of this year are the Evil Dead remake and the Carrie remake. You know, they're two movies that are going to be very heavily publicised. Um, there's going to be, there's bus posters for Evil Dead. I'm guessing there's going to be for Carrie. They're going to be you know, non-blockbuster um, tentpole releases. And they're horror films. But are they going to be the two best horror films of the year? Probably not, no. The two best horror films of the year will end up being movies that mainstream audiences will probably never see. They might not even play a, a, a cinema. They might turn up midday at Fright Fest and you know, half the Fright Fest audience will go and see it and go, that was fucking incredible. And that's what will happen. It's, but mainstream horror is, is cool at the moment and it's fashionable. And the thing is, it's, it's, it's faddy at the moment to like, to like horror. So what we're getting there is we're getting certain horror movies where it is just based on, oh, look how old school that gore looks. It's like, yeah. Have you, have you seen Evil Dead and Evil Dead 2? Oh no, I haven't got around watching them yet. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I, yeah, I mean, I, I think that's fair, and I mean, it ties into we we asked for the comments and stuff, and uh, Mondo Dan Dan Orti, who is as much an expert on the genre as I think we're going to fucking get, frankly. Yeah, uh, without question, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, he said, uh, I think strong horror films being made all the time, horror is in no worse state than ever has been. However, the great horror movies are almost exclusively in the independent and foreign sectors, so it might seem that horror isn't too healthy at the minute. Mainstream horror is all but dead creatively, but that's okay with me. When I say mainstream, I guess I mean studio. Now, I think that's fair, but yep. what I, my main argument for why I am very, very depressed about horror lately, is that it's not just, it, it's not like the mainstream big screen horror that I'm even really talking about. And, and, and I mean, fuck, I like the Evil Dead remake, so you know. 
it, it, it's, it's... I didn't dislike it. Yeah. It's, it's the... It's the films that are being made by people who are, who are purporting to be horror fans that are just rely and, and just are tits and arse and oh fuck me look at that gore and and, yeah. I, mean, I, and I mean like for instance I mean like I I, I, I surprisingly I don't really like trash talking the thing is I've met the guy. And he was a lovely, lovely, lovely guy. I like I had Jack Daniels with the guy. But Ty West, at this moment in time, it's almost like he doesn't even want to be doing this stuff. But he's being forced to out of some sort of way to keep his profile up. Like mm. based on his short in the ABCs of death, M is for miscarriage, which is just about the most pointless thing I think I've ever seen generally. Um, but also is short in VHS Second Honeymoon, which is like 20, 25 minutes long. And, and nothing happens. And, and then nothing happens until the it, very end. And then when it does happen, it, 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 when you watch it, you go, do you know what, that doesn't make sense. Even in horror, that doesn't make sense. And the thing is, I, I, I really like The House of the Devil, and a lot of people say nothing happens in The House of the Devil. I bet some people were just saying it when I was saying that. But House of the Devil builds atmosphere like no one's business. And the Innkeepers does in moments as well. The Innkeepers is not nearly as successful as House of the Devil, but it has moments. But suddenly it feels like he's being associated with primarily the horror genre. He doesn't want to be in it. So it's almost like he's setting fire to his own career. It's, it's, I mean, it, the problem is, it's kind of the mid-noughties, we had this new crop and this new wave sure. of horror directors and so you had people come out of it and you had people like Eli Roth um, and Rob Zombie and Neil Marshall and people like this came out and it was like right these are the new horror guys and then they kind of they, they had a bit more money thrown at them and they all went oh god I don't fucking know what to do you know horror works when you've got an idea and you go, got a really good idea. Horror, I don't think it works as well when you sit down and go, right, I'm a horror maker, a horror filmmaker, let's make another horror film. And you sit down and you try to make a horror film. I don't think that, that doesn't seem to work as well. You, you, you've got to have more thought go into it, otherwise you're just regurgitating stuff that's already been done. And if you're going to show gore and you're going to show something disgusting and you're going to push the boundaries of stuff, you've got to have some kind of sense behind it. Um, and, you know, a perfect example was at Fright Fest last year. We watched um, a film from, was it Chile it was from? Oh, Hidden in the Woods. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and that, that pushed a, a, lot of, a lot of boundaries, but it had no point in doing it. And it ended up, we ended up enjoying it in a way of which we were never intending to enjoy it, in a way that it was just so fucking stupid that it, that it had to be a black comedy. I thought but it, it hit really that wasn't. the words was fucking hilarious. It, it was I, hilarious. I, I don't think it was intended to be in the slot. And it's getting a US remake directed by Michael Biehn. Really? Which is the most fucking bizarre really? thing of all. Yeah, that, I kind of thought you would have known that, actually. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I, one of those things that I've heard and forgotten. Let me... Uh, let me look it up. The Woods 2014. Here we go. 
Uh, oh no, sorry. Oh, I thought it was going to be directed by Michael Bean. He must have. Um, yeah, no, I thought he was directing it as well. Well, it's actually been directed by the guy who directed the original. Then. Is it? Yeah. So you look at something like that. It, it, that had an interesting concept, poorly executed, but at least it had an interesting concept in it. Um, whereas you have a lot of horror nowadays with it, where all it is is filler in between gore and that doesn't work at all you know the, the Saw franchise became one of the laziest franchises known to man um, and you know they've replaced the Saw franchise with what looks like it might be the Insidious franchise the fact that the, the next Insidious movie is called Chapter Chapter, chapter two. 2 you know it's like Right, it, it like saw Insidious was interesting, and it was it wasn't that fucking different, but it did something fun and it did something interesting, and I enjoyed it. Yes, some people complained about the last twenty minutes. I liked it; didn't bother me. But uh, am I looking forward to Insidious too? Well, no, not really, because I don't see what more it's going to do with the the number one. Will I watch it? And do I hope it's good? Of course, yeah, but. It's just, I think that because horror is popular at the moment, it's getting a little bit more thrown at it. And, you know, studios are, you know, backhandedly giving a little bit more money and going, right, have this, you know, have this money. You know, we'll, we'll, we'll present it as being independent, but it's not really independent. Well, I, I'm I, mean, I think what's an interesting thing on that is uh, uh, Jason Bloom, the uh, the producer of like Lords of Salem and Insidious and Sinister and Paranormal Activity and The Bay and Dark Skies and The Purge. Um, uh, his his production company, Bloomhouse. I like Jason Bloom. Um, he's found his niche. He lets directors get on with it. Apparently, he's very hands-off. He gives them the money and he lets them do it, and then he worries about the marketing. He's yeah. just uh, signed a deal with uh, Universal. And The Purge was the, the, the first thing of that. And he feels like uh, a showman like who is using social media and whatnot to, to great effect. I mean, fuck, the money The Purge has made in the US is insane this week. Off a $3 million budget, it's done like nearly $40 million. And I like the idea of a producer having a big deal with Universal but letting the directors do what they want. Like, Scott Stewart made his own film with Dark Skies, for better or worse. Rob Zombie made his own film with The Lords of Salem, for better or worse. It, 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 it It's just like, if these directors have the hunger to do this stuff, I, I think they're still liable to make interesting films. My point is that it feels like there are, there are filmmakers out there now who are using the horror film as a crutch, because they think they know what horror fans want. Yeah. And they and just serve not, up the same old shit. It, it, it's, it's the base... It, it, it's horror fans who aren't actually horror fans. Yeah. They're people who like horror movies. They're not... They, they go out... They're not the... You know, they don't have... They, they've seen Friday the 13th, A Nightmare on Elm Street, and, you know, Halloween, but probably the remake... But they've not fucking sat and watched, you know, Nightmare on Elm Street 2 and fucking Dream Child. They also haven't fucking sat through, you know, a lot of the stuff that 
me, you, and the people that we chat to uh, at breakfast stuff like that have sat through, and they don't go, they don't go out looking for fucking obscure, you know, Taiwanese films and stuff like that. It, it, it seems we've got two types of, of, of horror going on. We've got horror, which is you know, quick turnover, get it out there, mark it in the right way. It don't matter if it's good. Bump, you know, as long as there's some tips in it. Uh, for instance, a great example of that, Shark Night. Sure. You know, what what happens in Shark Night? There's a few sharks in it, not that many, let's be honest, yeah. but there's a lot of shots of girls stood around in bikinis. You know, and it's, there's a bit of gore. Not, uh, it's not a terrible film, but it's not very good either. Um, but that was a wide release, and you know it, it, it made a reasonable amount of money. But then there's a lot of other horror movies that could have filled that slot that was so much better. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. I, um, I, I, don't, I just don't have a lot more to say on that. No, no I mean, I think it's one of those things where I think the, the, the state of, of, of horror is, at the moment, it, it, there's still the films out there if you go looking for them. The problem is, is there's a lot of people out there who I think uh, are taking advantage of the fact that horror is popular at the moment and essentially releasing very crude material in a similar way as stuff like, um, I, I suppose, going to the other extremes, in a similar way to how Keith Lemon approaches comedy and satire. Sure. You know, that's not funny, it's not satirical, but idiots who will watch primetime fucking ITV will lap it up like fucking rabid dogs. That's the type of people who will lap up something like Aftershock because it's got a cool neon poster that happened to have been released at the same time as Maniac's been released, a proper horror film. Yeah. Yeah. But which, which you know, which will get a more publicised VOD release? Eli Roth presents Aftershock or the remake of Maniac. Which one's a better movie? I haven't seen Aftershock, so I can't comment but I'm sure that Ian will say the better movie is Maniac than Aftershock. Uh, yes. But you look at those posters next to each other, those neon posters, they're incredibly similar. Very true. Which and is there, <laughs> you've got two examples of the one side of modern horror versus the other side of modern horror. An original piece that by all accounts, a lot of people, and I, like I, say, I haven't seen it, but I very much trust Ian's uh, word on this, is an absolute piece of shit. You'll be annoyed. You'll be very annoyed. Exactly. That's the, I, 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 I don't mind not liking a film. I don't like being annoyed by a film. Versus a remake of a, a, a very cult movie, um, but that has something new to say within it, and is a, you know, a fantastic movie. And does deal, I think, with you know, with misogyny in a very different way to other to where a lot of modern horror does. Yes. Right. Cool. <laughs> Sorry, I just like yeah, you, you pretty much nailed it on the head a lot. So. <laughs> Good. 
I'm glad I talk some sense occasionally mm. in between my inane babbling. And what I'm going to say is the two films that, I, that I've got for my uh, what I've been watching will we'll fucking we'll bring the tone right back down. Okay, and on that note, I'm going to go for a wee and pause the recording. <laughs> no worries, I'm going to go for a pee as well. Nice. Hello? Hello. Right, yo. Uh, let's get back in. Okay. Yes. Uh, right, okay, and we are back. We are uh, all peed out and refreshed. And uh, it's time for some one old run new. Uh, Mark, let's bring this tone down. What are you doing first, bud? Uh, I'm going to go in with my one new, because I actually watched a couple of new films today. Uh, today, not today, this week. Um, and the one I'm going to talk about is a, an interesting little movie. It actually links into my, my old, uh, which I didn't realise, but um, cool. Uh, I watched a film called The Dog Problem, uh, which is a comedy film um, written and directed by Scott Kahn. Um, of, James Kahn. Yeah, so. wow, okay. Um, and it's... The film is... Uh, wait a two seconds. Yeah, so it's a kind of comedy. Um, made in 2006. Um, it's not his first film, actually. I did think it was his first film. It's not. He actually did a horror drama before this. Uh, but I've not seen that. And I've tried to get all of it. It's first impossible. Fine. Um, but anyway, the idea with this is you've got Giovanni Ribisi. Um, he's playing a, a writer uh, called Solo. Um, who has spent the past year um, every day going to see uh, a psychiatrist played by uh, John Cheadle. And he basically he, he goes, and the film opens with him at a session with John Cheadle's psychiatrist, where he basically tells him, you know, that he can't come see him anymore because he's run out of money. Um, doesn't think that he's better, but thinks that he's a little bit better. But he has no money left because he's been coming to see him every day for a year, uh, five days a week. Uh, Don Chino suggests that to cope with his sort of his loneliness, his insecurities, that maybe he should get a pet, and you know that would help him learn to love something, and in turn learn to actually maybe care about the outside world, because he's obviously someone who's quite introvert and doesn't seem to like anything other than himself without but not in an arrogant way um, so he sees this and he's, he's obviously got some kind of mental issues it, it, he decides that he's going to get a dog but he doesn't want to get a dog but he'll get a dog because he feels that his psychiatrist told him to get a dog so he enlists the help of Scott Kahn who plays um, his best friend who's a photographer um, who's a bit of a player but not a douchebag player more of a fun player. Um, and they go off and they buy a dog. And the dog they buy is this fucking weird-looking dog who doesn't seem to do a lot, doesn't seem to uh, bark or anything except when he's not when he's supposed to be being quiet. Um, but he's a real ugly, weird little thing. And everyone keeps thinking it's a girl, and it's not. It's a boy, it's a dog. So you get Giovanni Ribisi then decides that... Because it, it, when he's buying the dog, uh, he asks for a dog that doesn't really want to do anything, that he isn't going to have to take for a walk, and that will go for a shit outside on his balcony, and that he doesn't really have to do a lot with. Which, of course, there's no dogs exist like that, really. Um, 
So after a couple of days, he tries to take the dog back. They won't accept the dog back. So Scott Khan ends up introducing him to Mina Suave, um, who is like this spoilt rich kid who takes in dogs for some reason. Right. Um, but he doesn't want to give the dog to her because then the dog will become a spoilt dog. Mate, and you then... are not selling this to me. <laughs> well, wait. Uh, and then he comes back to the apartment and Kevin Corrigan appears. Uh, okay, yeah. A loan shark who Giovanna Rabisi owes money to, uh, who then tells him that in, in, in lieu of giving him the money, he'll take the dog, but Giovanna Rabisi doesn't want to give him the dog. So now Giovanna Rabisi's got this dog that he doesn't that he doesn't want, that he also doesn't want to give away, that he doesn't even really like the dog. And then he takes it to the park and he ends up meeting Lynn Collins, who ends up being a okay. stripper. Yeah, that's okay, yeah. <laughs> uh, whose dog attacked his dog, and it all just ends up being just this clusterfuck of him trying to get rid of the dog, but having all these opportunities to get rid of the dog, but never actually wanting to get rid of the dog, not even liking the dog, not knowing how to look after the dog, and all these people around him trying to take the dog off him. Um, and it's one of those films where it's, it, it's good for the writing and the fact that it's so ridiculous, and but it's quite amusing in places. It's only um, sort of I think it's about 80 odd minutes long, not even that. Um, it's 88 minutes. I clocked it at 79 minutes um, before credits. And it absolutely doesn't outstay its welcome. But it's it works because every character in it is quite nice. You know, Giovanni Rabisi's character is quite a nice guy. Scott Kahn's character is very sort of charismatic. And you've got this really bizarre scene where he takes the go to meet Lynn Collins' character uh, at, a, at her place of work. Uh, and Giovanni Rabisi's character doesn't know that it's a strip club but Scott Kahn's character does know it's a strip club. And they get there, and Scott Kahn's watching this girl dancing. And so he gets up, takes his top off, and starts dancing along with her, but from, like, completely across the other side of the room. And it shouldn't work, but you're watching it going, do you know what? Yeah, I'm on board with this. I, I was watching it going, I'm absolutely with this movie and it's one of those films where within 10-15 minutes you'll either be with it or you won't and if you're not with it after 10-15 minutes you go in oh this is crap turn it off because it's only going to get worse for you or after 10-15 minutes you go yep alright I'm on board so far you'll continue to be at that level you'll continue to be entertained and I think it depends on whether or not you can put up with whether or not you you like this kind of Giovanni Ribisi, and I do like. I, I'm a big Giovanni Ribisi fan. The only ones I don't like are where he's where he's playing the mainstream movie and he's a co-star. So in something like Sky Captain the World of Tomorrow or Avatar or Gangster Squad, that's the Giovanni Ribisi I'm not a big fan of. I like crazy Giovanni Ribisi. And I like slightly neurotic Giovanni Ribisi. And that's what you get here. Um, it's definitely not for everybody, but I'll be honest, I had a fucking lot of fun with a dog problem. Good for you. 
And do you know what? Scott Kahn can direct comedy. The comic timing in this movie is brilliant at points. Um, I'd like to see what he could do with something with a little bit, you know, a little bit more budget to it and a little bit more time, clearly. Because this is clearly, this is a low-budget movie and everyone that's in it is in it because they're his friend. That's fair enough. I, I, I don't know, it just... It doesn't sound like one I should be spending my precious, precious time on. No, I, I, would, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't rush out to watch it. But what I'd say is, you're going to hit a point in about, in about sort of six months where you're going to have a lot of time to watch movies. Sure, sure, sure. Because there's going to be points where you're going to be sat at one in the morning and going, oh my God, he slash she's asleep. There is no fucking way... I am moving. So you can't put on a Blu-ray. Yeah. Because you can't move to put one on. But you will have the PS3 controller at arm's reach to you. And you can go, right, let's have a look what's on Netflix. Yeah. And you're not going to watch anything of any way. Yeah. Because your brain is sleep deprived. Yeah. So you're not going to be able to concentrate on it. And you want to watch something that, if after 20 minutes he slash she wakes up and starts screaming that you're going to be able to watch half asleep, half awake with a bottle in its mouth yeah. going, I'm not paying any attention to this. Okay. This might be the perfect movie to watch at that moment. Right, okay. So at one o'clock in the morning when I've got a kid in my arms, stick on the dog problem. Yeah. And hey, also, you were uh, asked a question on, um, on 35mm Heroes where you were asked what will be the first film you will show your kid. It's not going to be the fucking dog problem. It won't be the dog problem, no. And your first film was, I'm going to show them, is My Name of Totoro. Yeah. You know, and your answer was, it will be the first film I show them as a sit down and watch this. And it will be the first film I watch with them as a person. Yeah. Yeah. And it made me think, do you know what the first film I watched with Isabel as a person was? (laughs) Candyman. Yes. (laughs) That's pretty (laughs) solid. I sat at around um, at around two in the morning um, with Isabel because she'd fallen asleep in the crook of my arm, and I had the Sky Remote, and I was flicking on. I thought I can't watch anything, and this was obviously before Netflix or anything like that, yeah. and before Sky on Demand. And I was flicking through what was on Sky, and I went, "Oh, Candyman's just started. That'll do." <laughs> That's fantastic. <laughs> and you know what? She, it was the, it, in the first two weeks of Isabel being at home. It was the only hour and forty minutes that she slept. Nice. Right, go on then. What's your one old one new? TL. <laughs> um, I'll, 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 I'll do my one old, even though it's probably going to be quite brief. Um, uh, only watched one old uh, this week, so didn't have a lot of choice. Um, bah, 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 um, uh, shame. Uh, watched it on Netflix UK in bed, uh, which was interesting. Um, I kind of, for some reason, I'd forgotten uh, how... Uh, Explicit it was? Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. Did you, did you, did you, did you, when you watched it, were you thinking, it was a little bit like I'm watching porn. Yeah, it, it totally did. I was kind of praying Donna didn't wake up, to be honest. Um, <laughs> yeah, you just, a half-asleep girl turned around and going, 
Uh, Ian. <laughs> the, 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 the thing is, it's great. Once once Donna's asleep, she's asleep. So like, I don't really have to like worry about about that. But I, it's not like it is actually porn. Shame isn't porn. It, no, it's it not. is uh, important to add. I think. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I just I, I it was my second time watching it. Uh, first time was in the cinema. Uh, and uh, I, I, yeah, I think it's a, a, a terrific piece. Really, um, it's. It looks great for a start. Sean Bobbitt, who did the cinematography, who also shot uh, Byzantium. Uh, it, 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 ah, that explains a lot. Yeah. Um, I like a, a really clean, kind of sterile look to the thing, which, like, it, like there's a lot of kind of cool-looking places, but they all feel quite antiseptic, and um, I, 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 you know, I really like that. Um I mean, Mulligan is is great. Uh, Fassbender is better. Uh, James Badge Dale is um, reliably slimy in a in a, a somewhat smaller uh, supporting uh, supporting role. Um, yeah, I just I I, I think it's marvelous. Some of the the the, the, the slow controlled shots, like there's um, one in particular where he's going out for uh, for that date. And the way it's just like it, it's the shot of them at the table, and like the um, the waiter just coming in, like drifting in and kind of interrupting proceedings every now and then, and kind of drifting out again, and like the 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 way it's just folk, it, the the camera's slowly focusing in on them for like a solid five minutes, and the way he is, and the way he just can't get comfortable, and, and, but yeah, and, and she sees that, and yet he is still so charming, and and the kind of the way the the, the camera forces in, it's quite claustrophobic. Is uh, it's really really masterful stuff, and um, I, I really like that the the scene where he goes jogging as well, just because yeah, it looks beautiful. Yeah, I mean it looks great, and also just you you're spending that time just thinking what is going through his head right now. Like, does he wish he was the one who was in there fucking his sister? Or you know, is he just angry at her for coming in and 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 ruining every uh, like ruining everything? I mean, it, it just like I mean, I, I think in, in terms of what that actually is, I think that scene where she uh, kind of walks in on him jacking off, and then he kind of goes mental at her. Uh, it, it probably tells you as much as you need to know in terms of you know what what is what the thinking is there. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's. It's again it's similar to um, like we talked about with with the Iceman. Um, it, it's a film which is very much weighted on its lead performance. Yeah. The difference being with Shame is there's there's more going on around it, or the, or the, or the bits that are around it are better crafted. Yeah, the bits around it, it, it are it, definitely it's, it's better crafted. I think that's a very good point. Um, uh, but it's still a one performance thing, and it's an incredibly intense performance and I think it's it's the sort of film where you you, you gonna I, I'm gonna sound so fucking pretentious here and I, I hate doing it but I'm gonna do it you, you have to be of an intelligence above that you have to understand beyond the snigger factor mm-hmm. beyond the oh it's Michael Fassbender's penis kind of thing beyond that it, it's you know, it's about a guy who doesn't have 
sex for pleasure and doesn't do that for pleasure, it, it's a compulsive, angry thing for him. And it's it's a, it's a state of mind that he doesn't like being in, and it's it's that level of, of you know of, of, there's a lot of jokiness about sex addiction. Yeah. Of, oh well, you know, fucking how bad can that be? Um, and it's you know you had something like choke dealt with it in a very jovial manner, mm. um, whereas here it deals with it in a very dirty and a very you know real manner of you know this guy is incredibly successful and everything like this and you know but look even when he meets a woman who he has a genuine attraction to and enjoys spending time with and doesn't just want to fuck. It, the compulsion is there, and he knows that that, that 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 side of him, he doesn't want her to see. But that side of him is always going to be there, and it, it's an incredibly um, tense film to watch. It's an incredibly uncomfortable film to well, watch. Yeah, I mean, especially that scene where he is actually trying to have sex with that girl, mm. and he just can't do it. Yeah, it, 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 it is just Mr. Floppy, and he basically tells her to get out, and then it's like there's a cut, and then he's just banging some prostitute up against the window. Yeah, and he's uh, and, and suddenly he is Captain Sex again. Yeah, it, 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 it's it's that, and and then there's the yeah, there's just there's 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 so much going on with that film. And I remember when it came out, so many people sort of you know, saying how, how incredible it was. Um, and, you know, it was one of those that didn't let down. Yeah, 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 exactly. Uh, it was my number three film of 2011. And uh, I'd, 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 I'd still have it there, frankly, yeah. It was one of those where, unfortunately, I didn't see it in 2011. I saw it afterwards. Uh, it would have, without question. Uh, being in my top ten uh, of 2011, um, had I seen it, then I, it's an incredible movie. Uh, really is. Uh, I'm just going to have a check to see what was my uh, top ten of 2011, so I can sort of give you an idea of where it would have been within that. I mean, I, I'm just while you're doing that. I mean, weirdly, it was. Um, I was just like having a look at what's on Netflix. It wasn't like a determined watch, and I was like, "Fuck it, I'm going to rewatch Shame." And I thought I might I might just watch half an hour and then watch the rest of the next day. I ended up just sitting there watching the entire thing. It would have probably been my number four or number five of 2011. Mm. Yeah, I mean, uh, for me, only uh, Tyrannosaur, which I've still only seen the once as well. That's due to rewatch very soon. And Drive uh, came came above it for me. Me Drive, PJ20, but I accept the fact that that's nostalgia. Yeah, but sure. Okay. That's fair. Uh, Animal Kingdom. It would have, it would have probably yeah it would then it would thirteen assassins that was my number four but I think it would have sat above thirteen assassins okay okay so uh, let's get into your one old my man my one old um, was uh, one of those movies where like I've said before occasionally I watch stuff just to watch and switch off um, feeds into my one new that I watched um, and I didn't even get the link until I sat down and had them both open up on Wiki and thought oh there's that um, and it was gone in 60 seconds the remake of it oh, um, <laughs> okay yeah which um, it's a strange movie um, it, it's often one of the forgotten um, Brockheimers of its time 
you know, when you mention the Jerry Brockheimer movies, you know, that were done before Pirates and stuff like in the, you know, before that, you know, you've got the Rock, um, Bad Boys, and um, Con Air. God in sixty seconds seems to get forgotten a little bit about that, despite the fact that you know it was a phenomenally successful movie. It made a lot of money. Um, it's stupid, but it's very entertaining. Um, it contains Nick Cage doing a you know crazy Nick Cage performance. But I was watching it and sat down and watched it, and I, I have a have no real interest in cars, so they, you know, that that isn't there. Um, but it's just so damn entertaining. You know, I don't have to explain the story of going 60 seconds, think most people have seen it. You know, the movie made a shitload of money and it's 13 years old. Essentially, you've got Nick Cage and a group of car thieves have to steal 50 cars in one night. Yeah. That's it. And essentially... The large portion of the movie, you know, is, you know, you've got the first open act, you know, the build up to why they've got to do it. Second act is them, you know, setting out how they're going to do it. Third act, them doing it. And then you've got that little fourth act tagged on at the end, which I could quite easily have done without. Um, but yeah, it's just a really fucking attaining movie. And the weird thing is, you've got Shivana Rabisi and Scott Kahn in it. Um, it's Nick Cage, I would say it's the last time, possibly the last time Nick Cage was good entertaining Nick Cage rather than, oh, look how funny Nick Cage is. Um, you know, since then, really, yeah, it, it, it's, oh no, sorry, Lord of War, I would say, is the last really good Nick Cage movie. Well, what about Bad Lieutenant? Oh god, yeah, bad lieutenant. But he's peppered it in with it's the right up to that. It was the probably the last movie before he started churning out a lot of shit in between a lot of good. You know, he went a kind of six seconds off the bat before the balance shifted. You mean? Yeah, yeah. The movies he did before that were Bringing Out the Dead, Eight Millimeter, Snake Eyes, City of Angels. So fair enough. But Con Air, The Rock, Leaving Las Vegas. You know that. The five years leading up to that, it's majoritively great movies. The five years between Gone in 60 Seconds and Lord of War, The Family Man, Captain Grelly's Mandolin, Christmas Carol the Movie, Wind Talkers, Adaptation, Matchstick Men and National Treasure. You you know, it's starting to, to go the other way. And then we got um, Nick Cage and his wig star in after that. Um, but yeah, I, I take it you've seen Gone in 60 Seconds. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. It's what a fucking fun movie. It really is a proper entertainment, Brockheimer entertainment before we started getting just the same shit regurgitated. You know, Pirates of the Caribbean 1, 2, 3. Like, so. Dominic Senna did that and then Swordfish. Yeah, which is pretty entertaining as well. Have a look, right? I'm going to just quickly go through Dominic Senna's um, filmography, right? As a director. Um, California, the Brad Pitt movie. Solid. Solid. Perfect entertaining. You know, it's a good movie. It's time. And um, I remember seeing... And it isn't on the fucking making of on the um, on the DVD, but I remember seeing at the time... 
on, uh, I think it was, it might have even been on film, no, it wasn't on film, it was on one of the movie shows at the time, where they did a little, um, a little featurette, and it was called, um, Brad Pitt can open a bottle with anything. And it, essentially, it was them, just a, a load of cuts of Brad Pitt opening bottles with stuff. And it was like Brad Pitt opening a bottle. Because in the film, you've seen California, haven't you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. He opens bottles on everything, and on a wall and stuff like that, doesn't he? Yeah. And it, it was them going, Brad, open this bottle. And I'm chucking him a bottle of beer, and he'd open it on, like, a windowsill. Or he'd open it on his shoe. Or he'd open it on his belt. And it was basically just Brad Pitt could open a bottle of beer with anything. <laughs> and these were like proper bottles of beer. So it's them, and it's like David Duchovny going, Brad, open this. And so Brad Pitt, like, getting it, and like, screwing his t-shirt up, and just knocking the bottle cap off of his t-shirt, and nice. stuff like that. And it was brilliant. And I've tried to find it on YouTube, or on any of the DVDs, and I can't find it. Which is making me think that there's a possibility it doesn't exist, and it never happened. <laughs> and it's just my brain. And I, I, if I ever met Brad Pitt, I'd like throw him a beer and go, Brad, open that with your fucking shoe. And he'd go, what? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And like, you know, like, you didn't like the thing for California. And they'd be like, you're a crazy person. What are you talking about? Yeah, yeah, so. Go away. And that, you know, it, my brain is now going, it's as much might be that as might be actually have happened. But then again, you look at Brad Pitt, and he looks like the kind of guy who could open a bottle of beer with anything. Sure. Um, he's got that, got in 60 seconds, Swordfish, perfectly entertaining, decent film. And Whiteout, which was shit. And Season of the Witch, which I thought was perfectly entertaining. Yeah, Season of the Witch is fine. So, you know, why is he only made in... 20 years, five movies. It's a strange one. But yeah, yeah it's gone in 60 seconds. Fucking love it. Really entertaining movie. I just think Whiteout probably didn't do him, do him any favours. and no, then he didn't. Uh, uh, and then Season of the Witch obviously didn't as well. That did no one any favours. No, that, that, that really did fucking bomb. Mm. Spectacularly. Yeah, quite. I mean, fucking hell, the... Right, the the 2000 slate for um, Jerry Brockheimer was Remember the Titans, yeah, Coyote Ugly, and Gone in 60 Seconds. God, bloody hell. I know. <laughs> I like all three of those movies. <laughs> God, then, what was your... Um, that's funny. Um, sorry, just a sec. Oh, they've pushed the release of your next back a week. That's a shame. Anyway, sorry. Um, oh, I wonder if that will be opening Fright Fest. Yeah, it sounds like it, doesn't it? Yeah, shocker. Um, but anyway, uh, yep, yeah, so, uh, my one new, uh, you know, we, we like talking about um, 80s films, and I assume this is from yes. the 80s. Uh, so, let's do a little bit of... Weekend at Bernie's 2! Sorry? Is it Weekend at Bernie's 2? No. Uh, let's do a little bit of Ridley Scott. 
Oh, please say what I think you're going to say. It's from 1989. Yes! Uh, this is a first-time watch. Uh, on Film 4 HD, and uh, Donna went to bed uh, Friday night, and I was looking for something to watch, and I thought, fuck it. I'm gonna. I, I recorded it. I'm gonna watch this lovely Dolby Digital 5.1 through Film 4 HD as well, and actually quite good surround stuff, I must say. Black Rain. Yes. Uh, so I thought you'd like that. <laughs> uh, Black Rain opens with. Um, I love it. First off, that it said like the in association with credit, where you think it's usually going to be a production company. It's just in association with Michael Douglas. Yep. Uh, which says how high Michael Douglas was back in '89, and good on him. Uh, so that's great. The first proper shot of the film is Michael Douglas in a black leather jacket riding a motorbike, and I'm just like, right, I'm in. Yep, I'm in. Uh, it then cuts to him talking to a very fresh-faced Luis Guzman and, and someone else. Uh, he then proceeds to have a bike race with the other person, and the other person berates him for being a psychopath, and he's on the edge and all that kind of stuff. And then it's revealed that he's a copper, uh, but he's a copper on the edge. Um, and he's sent to... Well, he apprehends uh, a, 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 a Japanese gentleman uh, who kills a load of mob bosses or mob people. Uh, he and his uh, partner, played by Andy Garcia, um, have to uh, escort the, uh, the Japanese suspect back to Japan, where they uh, unwittingly give him back to his own people, and then they have to try and get him back. Uh, Michael Douglas gets the occasional help of Kate Capshaw, and, uh, yeah. Um, when Black Rain's silly, <laughs> it's great. Yeah. The opening shot is great. Andy Garcia singing karaoke is great. Um, shafts of light coming in from every conceivable fucking angle is amazing. Uh, and even though that's kind of silly now, it obviously wasn't back in the day. Back in the day, it was serious and hardcore. Um, and I, I, as, as I said on Letterboxd, as a kind of a, a historical artefact, Black Rain is mesmerising. Um, however, as it goes on, it becomes less fun. It becomes more of a two different men having respect for each other uh, and kind of like building up a mutual respect and kind of a mutual kind of bromance. It goes a bit ploddy, doesn't it, for a while? Yes. Um, it is very, very, very ploddy, I would say, in it, to be honest, in the last act. Um, yeah. It, it feels like it runs out of steam. I think it is a good two hours long. Um. I would like to know how long it is actually, because like obviously I taped it and it's uh, got ads and stuff in it. But it, 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 it's over two hours. Yeah, um, it's, it's just just over two hours. Yeah, 125 minutes. Okay, uh, Black Rain did not need to be 125 minutes long. No. Uh, if it was 100 minutes, 105 minutes, uh, mm. it could it could have been great. But like there's there's a bit particularly kind of in the third act where 
Michael Douglas is basically kicked out of Japan. He like he 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 kind of says sorry to this guy, and he's on the plane, and he decides not to. Like, he decides he's going to get off the plane. He gets off the plane. He goes back to the guy again. He basically kind of has the same conversation with him, and that stuff is. Um, it, it just wasn't really needed. I I I think we kind of got the point. Um, I'm not going to spoil Black Rain. Uh, but there's a pretty surprising plot development uh, mm. that happens, which was rather shit just got real, which I respected that they were brave enough to do that, considering what it kind of meant for the rest of the film. But it's just a shame that the rest of the film, after it, that, is not as good as what comes before it. I think I think you probably know what I'm talking about. Yeah, the, the thing is that there are a lot of um, issues with shooting once they went um, once they went to Japan. Essentially, that doesn't surprise me. Okay. Uh, and that could um, you know that could be why the the, you know, the the last third of the film feels so ploddy uh, is because it it. it I think it, it took them so long to make, you know, I mean, this film, it, it took like six months to make this film, and it's not a six-month-to-make film. But because of that, it was because they had, because they had so many problems filming in Japan, um, and it, it, they pissed off Scott so much. Then again, let's be honest, it doesn't take a lot to piss off Ridley Scott. Sure. He's quite a fucking sensitive character. Yeah, no, absolutely. That, 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 absolutely. that could have had something to do with it. Um, I, I'm just, I'm a, a massive fan of 80s um, and early 90s Douglas. Oh, yeah, he's fantastic. You know, I, I love films like, you know, this for me is a um, Saturday night, Becky's out, Isabel's gone to bed, I've just watched a film, it's 11, 12 o'clock at night, and I'm thinking, I, I'm, I'm not ready to go to bed yet. And I want to just sling some on, and I want to, I want it to be fucking macho, and I want it to be ridiculous. And Black Rain is the type of film that I would sling on. That's fair. I think that's absolutely fair. I can see, I can see that. Yeah, because there's a good chance that I'm going to fall asleep by the time it gets to the bit that's a bit bloody anyway. Fair point. Yeah, that's an absolutely fair point. Um, yeah, I mean, it's I, I seven out of ten for me. Uh, I, I definitely not shit, you know. Uh, but I, I just, I don't know. I, I, I wish it was a bit tighter. Uh, yeah, it's, it's not his best eighties movie. Sure. It's more Jewel of the Nile than it is Romance and Stone. Oh, that's a good way of putting it. And uh, yeah, I think that's going to do for one old one news. So um, we're going to um, fast forward in time and get into our uh, latest bit of the marathon. Uh, pardon me, here's a bit from the trailer or all the trailer, who knows from Ted Demi's Beautiful Girls They're the best of friends I got anything in my stash Why is he here? In town for their high school reunion I've been back exactly uh, four minutes But they have one big problem I want to give you this It's brown you buy a colored diamond for a girl you're not even seeing, man. You've been eating retard sandwiches again. <laughs> They're all falling in love. You can slip into something more comfortable. With beautiful girls. 
They're all sisters, Will. Trust me, they're all sisters. It's one big conspiracy. It's the must-see comedy critics are calling hilarious. Look at this. Your favorite. I can go along with that. Yeah, that's nice, right? Well, these are Silicone City. I could hang my overcoat on them. Sexy. Can you think of anything better than making love to an attractive stranger in the middle of a frozen lake with just, just a, a oil light to guide your way? I woke up here in house A great comedy. What part of Chicago are you from? Do you know Chicago? Yeah, I, I know my soldiers feel. <laughs> Siskel and Ebert give it two thumbs up. What do you want? Are you drooling, obsessed lunatic? Okay, that's that's fair. Matt Dillon, Academy Award winner Timothy Hutton, Rosie O'Donnell, Natalie Portman, Michael Rappaport, Academy Award winner Mira Sorvino, and Academy Award nominee Uma Thurman. You drunk? I don't know, but you both look very beautiful. A beautiful girl can make you dizzy. She can make you feel high. A beautiful girl is all powerful. And that is as good as love. He's insane. <laughs> He's obsessed. You're all obsessed. Beautiful Girls, the seriously funny hit movie from director Ted Demi. And you guys, as a gender, have got to get a grip. Otherwise, the future of the human race is in jeopardy. Okay, so we are in the future. Um, what does the future hold? Uh, ridiculously priced Xbox One um, <laughs> and uh, what else has happened um, Jose Mourinho had his, de- had his second debut press conference at Chelsea and he was exactly as arrogant as he was at the last fucking day. hilarious I saw a live blog on that at the Guardian website when I was at work today that that man I love Jose Mourinho just for the pure entertainment I I he brings the circus to town and, like, that good on him. I I really don't share the love for him. I think he's, I just can't stand him uh, at all. Hate him. Because the problem is, is I rem- I, in my brain, I don't remember all these bits. I remember the bits where he's a petulant little child when he loses. Yeah, but that's funny as well. Yeah, but I think my problem isn't as much with Mourinho, it's with the British media's complete... Adoration. Adoration of him, and I find it a little bit galling, to be honest. Fair enough, fair enough. But anyway. Uh, So, anyway, yes, uh, we are um, in the future, and we are going to be doing uh, the next part of our double in Demi-tea. Demi, Demi-tea. Yeah, marathon. Uh, So we're taking a look at Ted Demi's uh, 1996 film, Beautiful Girls. Uh, good cast, good cast. Uh, Matt Dillon, um, uh, others, fuck. Um, uh, 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 Noah Emmerich, uh, Timothy Hutton, uh, uh, Lauren Holly, Rosie O'Donnell, Martha Plimpton's in there, uh, Natalie Michael Portman. Rapport, Natalie Portman, Uma Thurman, Mira Sorvino, Pruitt Taylor Vince. Yes. I fucking love Pruitt Taylor Vince. Um, and, uh, yeah, uh, basically, story is, uh, Timothy Hutton's character, uh, Willie, um, he, he's going back home for a bit. He lives in New York as a piano player, but he's gone back home for some mysterious reasons. Uh, he meets up with his old friends, and uh, they all have their own kind of things going on as well. And uh, it's about growing up. I suppose it's about people growing apart, but then kind of reconnecting and... Um, it's about Michael Rappaport giving really fucking solid monologues. Uh, yes. So, yeah, beautiful girls. Uh, Mark, I think I know what you think of this film. Um, I, 
I haven't watched this film, God, since uh, about 1998, so it's a good sort of oh, 15 wow. years okay. since uh, since I watched it. Um, and I remember really, really liking it, and then putting it on, and like I said, I put on my DVD and yeah, thought, oh, God, that, you know, it looks too fuzzy or anything like that, so I got a better copy of it. Uh, sat down to watch it um, and within 10 minutes was instantly transported back to sort of the late 90s. It, it, it is a very, not just a nostalgia filled film, it is a very much a film of its time. I think if you put somebody who is maybe grew up in the noughties and showed them this movie, they maybe wouldn't get the the feel of it and the tone of it. it it is one of the most 90s movies I think that there was made in the 90s um, but within sort of 10-15 minutes once you get sort of the introductions to the characters I started remembering why I, I loved this film when I first watched it and started sort of thinking you know, I don't know why it's taken me 15 years to go back to this film why it's not a film that I watched you know, every couple of years, um, you've got a great sort of ensemble cast, and they're all people who are very much kind of in their in the zone at this time of year, at this time in their careers, and they're all bouncing off each other so well. And like you say, you've got Michael Rappaport just being superb. It's an incredibly intelligent script. Um, wonderfully well written, and we'll come into more of that. But also, as well, this is um, you know, this is Ted Demi, who so far in his career had done a stand-up film and had done a couple of comedies, you know, and very very broad kind of comedies. And then this, it, it has you know moments of comedy in it, but this is very much a a, a drama. Um, film, you know, that has comedic elements to it, and it, it, it's such a, a shift from, you know, who's the man, sure, you know, to, to say that it's only a few years, uh, and it, you know, as a directing piece, as an actual film, it is so far removed from what we what we've looked at previously by Ted Demi. Um, so what did what did you think of Beautiful Girls? Yeah, I um, I, I really liked it. Um, I was I was planning on watching part of it uh, last night and then finishing the rest today, but I ended up just watching the whole thing last night, which is it, it always a good sign for me where I'm um, prepared to fucking only have six hours sleep so I can just finish a film. Um, so yeah, I, I really really enjoyed it. It's it, yeah, I mean when you say like the the mood and feel of a, a '90s film, I think it, it, it's that whole. Um, this podcast I listen to the Road Free Cinecast. Um, this guy on there, Kurt, he refers to like uh, like films like Days and Confused and Slacker as hanging out movies, mm. and this very much feels like that. Um, yeah, you know, but it, 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 but I, I think there's a bit more of a, like whereas Days and Confused is like high school and Slacker would be like early early twenties. You know, this this feels like. What like late twi- like very late twenties, early thirties? It, it, it's supposed to be um, late twenties. It, it, the idea is it's their ten year. It's not really kind of made a big deal of until at the end. But the idea is it's supposed to be their ten year um, reunion 
high school reunion, so I would say they're late 20s, so like 27 or 29. Okay, yeah, sure, sure. Um, uh, which, I, I don't know, if I was, i got to say, if I was being a bit mean, I'd say fucking Noah Emmerich, like, bless him, he fucking aged quickly uh, in, yeah. in, in that case. But, um, but I mean, then again, in saying that, um, I, I looked at a picture of somebody that I went to... Um, went to school with uh, who was in you know he's my age so he's 30 at the moment and I saw a picture the other day and he, he looked like he was in his mid 40s yeah 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 so, so you, it does happen you, you, you do get that occasionally uh, Matt Dillon however does look exactly the same as he looked when he was 19 and exactly the same as he looks now yeah totally I mean I, and, and yeah I mean there, there's I, I, there's some really kind of interesting narrative sleight of hand in this as well um yeah, there, there are certain things that kind of aren't aren't revealed, and and they have good effects. I mean, I'm, I'm thinking most specifically of um, Matt Dillon and Lauren Horley at the at the beginning. Um, yeah. You know, they're kind of they're they're kind of looking at each other, and like uh, his friend Kev is like saying, "Oh, she's married." And for a fair while in the film, at least I I thought it was just that like they were eyeing each other up, but they hadn't done the deed, and the the whole thing was. Will he or won't he? And then it's revealed like halfway through. Oh, they have been, and they have been for a while. Yeah, and you know, it, it, it's the not only it, they're not even really been doing it on the sly. They've everybody knows about it, including his girlfriend and her husband. Yeah, I mean that 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 scene where Lauren Holly comes into the party and she's pissed and she's basically just like licking his fucking ear. Um, yeah, like I, I, I was thinking, Jesus Christ, that's a bit of a leap. Like, like I mm. missed something, but then it, it, it is revealed, and I mean, but it feels entirely in keeping with the character. So, like, you get the, you get the, what the fuck's going on? What, what, you know, what's happening here when you don't know? Like, so it kind of it makes you understand what the other, what some of the other characters are kind of thinking. Just like, well, this has all been kind of like hushed, talked about in hushed tones, but here it is, just out in the open. Um, yeah, they, they, they kind of want to, they want to back him, but they're kind of very aware of the fact that he's a bit of an ass. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that, that he, he's bringing all this to himself. That he's the kind of guy where he's they more remember him being a good guy, uh, and now he's just become a bit of a dick. And nobody really wants to tell him he's a bit of a dick. Yeah, but I, mean, I, I like, I, yeah, exactly. And I, I, I mean, I even, I, I like the way the, the, the relationships feel realistic. Like there are, there, there are kind of thing that you know, there, there aren't many like big barnstorming moments. And I think the film's more impress, uh, impressive for it. Like early on, there's one where uh, all like all the guys are, like sat in like a diner booth and like they get angry at each other and they're calling each other a dickhead and asshole and whatnot. And then something mm. interrupts them. And then that's kind of just forgotten. Like Michael Rappaport in particular is kind of chewing out Timothy Hutton's character, saying like, you yeah. know, you're big man, you think you can come, come back in here and start fucking, you know, and, and then like, that's never really mentioned again. You know, I, I, it, I like it, the way that hangs in the air. Yeah, it, 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 it treats them as a group of friends rather than uh, as a group of film friends. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so, so you know those things do happen. It is literally, it is literally forgotten about straight away. But I mean, like even like Mira Savino, she never has like a big moment with Matt Dillon where she chews him out or whatever. It's just like she's resigned to it, and then it's just like right, they're broken up. Mm. That that's that you know that's about it. Um, you know, I, I, even like uh, later on in the film when they're going to beat um, beat that guy Steve up, and 
Timothy Hutton's character is like, well, you know, in fairness, he was being, <laughs> you know, he was being a bit of a dick, and then the others are just like, yeah, but he's our friend, you know, and he's just like, all oh, right, let's lynch the bastard, you know, like, I, <laughs> yeah. that, 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 I, I love that, it, it, the, the, the kind of the, um, the, the, the sense of friends kind of bonding and just like normal rules don't apply. It, yeah, it, it does feel I, I, I realistic, but I like the way that Timothy Hutton's character actually calls that out. Yeah, it, it is a great little scene because he's kind of sat in the middle and he, he is kind of trying to put across the, the point of the fact that he deserved it. And they both kind of look at him with this sense of realisation of, well, of course he deserves it, but it doesn't stop us from wanting to stick up for him. Yeah, yeah. It's a, it's a great little scene, yeah. Uh, yeah, no, absolutely. Um, uh, yeah, but I mean, just, just I, I, I really like the, narr- uh, the, the kind of the narrative through line about the whole beautiful girls thing. I mean, like it's Michael Rappaport's kind of idolization of beautiful girls, and he's he's kind of he's talking to Timothy Hutton's character. He's just like, let's just date models, you know, because they're never really around that often, and you don't. Have to... <laughs> it's, a, it's a great line. Yeah, uh, the, next, the, next, the next girl I'm going for is going to be five foot ten, beautiful. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's I I I, I love that and his state of arrested development, and you know, the the, the, it, it, the the film to me kind of feels like it's an indictment of the grass is always greener on the other side thing that I think men just inherently have at times. So like Matt Dillon's character, grass is always greener. I could get with Lauren Holly's character, but no, it's not. Mira Savino is a love, like she's a lovely girl in it. You know, um, Timothy Hutton, grass is always greener. Natalie Portman. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, that's a, I mean, that's a, where the film, I think, sometimes loses people is that because you, there's a the way that the relationship seems like it's going to go with the Natalie Portman bit. Um, it could go, it could be seen as dark and a little bit kind of seedy, but it, it very much tries to sort of say, look, not an attraction. I'm not attracted to this 13 year old girl. I'm attracted to what. The idea of... To what this 13-year-old girl will be when she's 18. She's already my intellectual equal now. She's already smarter than me now. And she's already very interesting to me now. Imagine what it's going to be like when she's a lot smarter than me, more interesting than me, and possibly attractive as well. Well, I mean, yeah, I mean, that's the, I mean, he just says, doesn't he? Like, um, when this girl is eighteen, she's going to be amazing. Yeah, and the, the, the fact that he's very quick to say it's not a sex thing, and the fact that then later on there's a few kind of jokes thrown his way, uh, like uh, my grandpa calls him Jerry Lee Lewis. Yeah, at one yeah, point. yeah, that's good. Magnificent. And then my grandpa's character again turns round to Natalie Portman at the end of the film and says, "See, other towns, Lolita, then." Yeah, 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 exactly. Uh, yeah, yeah, that, that, that at the end, that's brilliant. Um, and I mean, their, their relationship is great. Like the di- the, the snappy dialogue they have with each other is is fantastic. But I mean, like, I, I like the way that Natalie Portman plays it, where she realizes, "Oh, this is getting a bit weird at times." Mm-hmm. Yeah, you, you know, I mean, uh, uh, that, 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 that scene where. Um, he's jealous of the other kids. <laughs> yeah, you know, and she's just like, "Right, I'm going to go inside now." 
Yeah, it, yeah. I mean, that, that, that's wonderful. But then, I mean, even like the whole thing about like things kind of like being picked up and not, not really addressed and it just kind of, in other films, that would feel like, like it wasn't done on purpose. But like, there, there are little bits like where they're at the ice rink and you just got like that one shot of Noah Emmerich kind of like looking across at them and then that one shot of the, like her friends her friend looking at them. And laughing, yeah. And it, it, it adds sort of, we only ever see Natalie Portman interacting with Timothy Hudson. You don't see her interacting with anybody else in the film, with the exception of the last little throwaway line she has with um, Mike Rathbone. Yeah. But, you know, the, the girls, you know, looking towards her gives you an idea that this is a girl who maybe isn't that popular at school and is a little bit alone, oh, okay. essentially. Yeah. Is what I see it as. She's a bit, I mean, she kind of almost referenced it herself that she's a bit of a loner, a bit of a lonely soul. Um, and you get the feeling that, that she's she's reached out to somebody and they've reacted, and now she's a little bit scared at the fact that they've reacted. And so she, she kind of cracks the jokes to it. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely, yeah, absolutely. I, I like that whole... It feels that their interactions feel quite right in the moment, but then you just have those shots of the outside peeking in, and it is just like, well, yeah, actually, that is fucked up. Mm. But uh, yeah, so I mean, that that fantastic, and then you got Uma Thurman coming in, uh, basically just being hot girl. Yeah, yeah, it's it's a bit strange because it doesn't really. She kind of bounces around and gives. gives realisation and clarity to um, a couple of the guys and that's all she seems to do yeah 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 she's like the I don't know it's it's if it wasn't for that fucking one scene at the start where she's introduced it's almost like she's just fucking imagined or something <laughs> yeah. you know I mean like uh, that, that, that scene with Timothy Hutton where he's just constantly kind of cracking on uh, uh, on for her you know and like, even though that's that's his moment of realization, I think when she says, you know, somebody uh, just just wants somebody to, oh, I can't remember what the line is, but like just like the kind of the ordinary stuff, yeah, you know, and like the way she is just completely grounded in that, and it kind of that whole thing of like women are actually way more emotionally mature than men are at pretty much every single age, and their interactions and uh, her interactions with Michael Rapaport as well, where they're. Um, when he's trying to make his ex jealous, you know, it, 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 I mean, she is the emotionally fulfilled person where the men are the completely emotionally stunted ones, you know, like, um, uh, you know, Rappaport, is it Rappaport who's got, he's like the, the, yeah, the women all around and he's uh, dating that, that girl and Kev, who is just like, he may as well just be 12 years old. <laughs> yeah, he's, he's very much the comedic relief. I think also, well, what is what, what I found quite amusing was the fact that you've got the with my craft part, you've got the his, his the little speech we talked about earlier about the you know we should date supermodels, and then you've got Rosie O'Donnell who appears and gives this really random off the cuff. Oh, that monologue! Um, yeah, monologue where she starts having a go at uh, Timothy Hutton and Matt Dillon, and you know that none of that is scripted. She just make it up as she's going along. Yeah. Because all Timothy Hutton and Matt Dillon can do is just laugh yeah. at it and just follow her around. Um, and then you've got the, you know, the juxtaposition of that is when Michael Rappaport gives the version of, of his, you know, he gives his beautiful girl speech. Yeah. And you're kind of thinking, well, what he's saying kind of makes 
sense. It's ridiculous and it's a little bit retarded. But it he manages to, to make it make sense to him. Yeah. Um but like you say, he he delivers the couple of monologues he's got magnificently in this movie. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, I, yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, is there is there much more to say? There isn't much more to say other than that it, it is it is one of those the sort of films from the nineties that um, I think because it's it, it's it's star um, you know the the one that all revolves around Timothy Hutton um, never quite kind of hit the heights that he was expected to hit mm. after. You know, films like Taps and stuff like that, where, you know, he started that with Sean Penn and um, Tom Cruise. And, you know, after that, Timothy Hutton was the was the star of that. Yeah. He never quite kind of um, fulfilled the potential that everyone thought he was going to have. I think that's part of the reason why this film kind of gets forgotten about as one of the, you know, the great kind of... 90s movies of its kind but it, it is a film that I think it, it does deserve a bit of sort of re-evaluation to be honest yeah absolutely it, it's the sort of thing where I, I'm I'm slightly surprised and I, I, there might be I might, it might be I just don't know about it but I'm slightly surprised there isn't a criterion of it it seems like the sort of film that should have got a criterion. Yeah, I mean yeah, I, I, I would actually agree with that um, I mean it, it's it kind of, I mean, it kind of feels like in terms of hanging out movies. I mean, I suppose you've got Clerks and you you have got Dazed and Confused. You've, you, I, I'm sure there are others that I'm, I'm I'm kind of missing at the moment, but it does feel like there are already quite a lot of those out there. And and, and I don't know, it just kind of feels like Beautiful Girls didn't quite just get the zeitgeist, I suppose. Maybe yeah, uh, maybe uh, maybe it, it was just that. Maybe it it, it just fell towards the end of that movement rather than um, you know I mean the other big sort of the big movies of 96 you know films like Independence Day and The Rock um, and you know films like that I think the first Mission Impossible film came out on uh, in you know 96 so I think it kind of got lost in that and you know what were the big sort of films 96 that you know Transport in '96. Just try to think of what are the, what are the films that would have attracted this type of audience. Yeah, yeah, uh, no, that's a good question. Of 1996, because often what can happen there is you'll get a couple of movies um, where the reason why they didn't they didn't sort of where they aren't remembered as well is because they were released at a time when something else took their audience. So maybe Train Spotting and Swingers uh, were 96. Maybe they took the audience that Beautiful Girls might have might have found had it had been released in 97 or 95 or 94. Yeah, that would make sense. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Um, so would that be about it, do you think? I would I would say that'd be about it. Yeah, it, it, it's obviously for me it's a definitely not shit. Yeah, oh god, yeah, definitely not shit. Definitely um, not shit. Um, right, okay, so shall we do some um, questions? Yes. Okay, what have we got? 
Do you have them up? What? I can get them. Uh, actually, do you know what? I've got them. Um, you got them? Uh, yeah. Um, okay, so at Cinematronics, uh, with VHS 2 being a superior film to the original, what other sequel do you guys think was an improvement on the first? Crank 2? Yeah, Crank 2. Uh, would we count The Dark Knight as been a sequel of Batman? Uh, I think that's completely fair. Yeah, uh, I'd say that. Batman Returns, he's better than Batman. Yep. Um, X-Men 2 is better than X-Men. Yeah, good call, good call. Uh, um, I think we've, we've got a few pretty decent ones there. I think there's, you know, there is, it is often said that sequel, um, there's an argument for Godfather 2 over Godfather. I, yet there is an argument I wouldn't go with it personally. Yeah, I, I would. Um, but, yeah, you know, it, it, it's, whenever people say, oh, the sequels are always uh, inferior to the, you know, the first film, it's one of those where you go, is it really? Yeah. You know, there's, there's, I think there's enough out there to make a case to say that that's a, that's a movie myth. Uh, from Russell with Love's better than The Doctor, no. Empire Strikes yeah. Back's better than Star Wars, uh, New Hope. Yeah, what? Empire Strikes Back is better than A New Hope. It's called Star Wars. Oh, fucking whatever. Let's differentiate them. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I, I think we got quite, we got, fucking hell, we didn't do too bad without that. Yeah, <laughs> I think that was, that was pretty solid. So, yeah, cool. Um, at Glenn T. Chapman, Glenn, uh, dream list of directors for VHS 3. Um, I'd like to see Neil Marshall tackle one. Yes, please. Uh, I'd like to see, um, what's the name who did Martyrs? Uh, Pascal Logier. That's the one, yeah. I'd like to see him, him tackle one. Um, um, hmm. I mean, obviously, one of the Korean directors, I'm trying to think of who. I'd like to see uh, Don Coscarelli do one. I think that'd be fun. Uh, I, I really liked American Mary, so I'm going to throw the Twisted Twins out I there. I knew you were going to do that. Um, I'd like, they're, they're two for two for me. Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, well, who else is there out there? Horror-wise. Oh, bloke, you did spli- Splice, Vincenzo Natale. Oh, yes, there we are. That'd be a good one. Um, I'll tell you what, why not? Lee Hardcastle, the guy who does his claymation shorts. Oh, yes, good call. It would take him fucking forever, I'm sure, but that would be awesome. Fuck it, though, why not? Yeah, man. Um, yeah, I think that's probably enough, isn't it? Yeah, that's a solid amount, there. Coolio. And <laughs> Mondo Dan. Uh, if the two of us had to kill each other in a Twisted Saw style game, what gruesome methods would we use? Have you got an answer for this? Uh... I've got one. Oh god, go on. Alright. I would have you locked in a not very big, quite small room that is all TV screens, right? The floor, everything, right? 
And what it's doing is it's playing any kind of, on a loop, it's playing racy scenes from Reese Witherspoon films. Oh, God. Right? And you've got, I'm going to give you two hours to wank yourself dry or you die. You're mulling on that one, aren't you? That don't make me feel right at all. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, go on then. Are you going to kill me? Um, old baby goose. I'd have him standing there, seductively stripping off, and he's saying, "You're not allowed to come. You're not allowed to come." And then I'd imagine within about twenty minutes, your fucking balls would blow up. I, I, I fucking twenty minutes. I was I, being I, I was being nice. You've been fucking generous there. Oh, horrible at the baby goose. Um, we actually actually we done kind of. I think I don't think there's a statement or a question from yet from from the past. Um, I think VHS three shouldn't be horror, but eighties style comedy from the directors of Weekend at Bernie's and Police Academy. That was a pretty solid comment. That. That was. I, that, do you know what? I'd watch that. Yeah, that's fair. I, I woke up from a nap the other day with the um, theme tune of Police Academy in my head for some reason. Nah. Do you know what? I did the other day as well. Yeah. Woke up. Woke up from a little a little nap that I had. I think it was. It might have been Saturday evening. Um, woke up. Went to go to the toilet, and in my brain it was just humming, going. Da, 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 da. And I found myself whistling it. I thought, why am I working up with the police? It's a fucking great theme tune, Mike. It's a great theme tune, yeah. It, it's an amazing theme tune. It is. Um, it, it, I, I, again, the first Police Academy kind of movie is not a bad movie. It's just they carried on making them. Mm. Uh, what is next on our Ted on our um, Jonathan Demi? Fuck me, what, yeah, we're what? back to Jonathan now, aren't we? Um, yeah. I'm, 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 I'm looking now and thinking that's not right. Nope. Da, 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 da. Right, well, Philadelphia is not going to be any fun. No. Um, what's Murder Incorporated? Murder Incorporated, it's a Bruce Springsteen video. Ah, uh, okay, never mind. You can review that if you want. Nah, you're alright. Oh, we're not reviewing that. What? We're not reviewing Beloved. Is that uh, over... Danny Glover? Yeah, no, that's not happening. Um... And, and, and Tandy Newton. Oh, God. Ah, uh, you see. The Truth About Charlie could be a good shit film to watch, but it's got Sandy Newton in it. What the fuck, John? I don't like Sandy I, Newton. I don't like Sandy Newton. For some reason, she... I think it's because she's incredibly arrogant, but has never actually made a good film. Yeah, that's fucking totally it. Uh, we'll, we'll decide during the week on that oh, one. Have a look. fucking hell. Um... Remake of the Manchurian Candidate. That's not a bad show, actually. Go on, then. Um, if we do the remake of the Manchurian Candidate and then maybe call it a day on the Jonathan Demi portion and... Do... Uh, uh, yeah. 
and then do blow. And yeah, and then do blow to finish up. As a, as a good blowout. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> there we go. Cool. So that'll do that. And uh, next week, what are we going to review? I, I, I very nearly, I very nearly tweeted you earlier today to say, "Fucking hell, dude! What's actually out next week for us to review?" <laughs> is it just the obvious? Is it? It is just the obvious. I think. Isn't it? I think it literally is the only thing out in it. Uh, let me just have a quick look because I know uh, much to do about nothing comes out, but it's like just not playing in Cardiff by the looks of it. I know it plays in a couple of weeks, but um, just Man of Steel then, is it? Yeah, I think it's going to be Man of Steel. All right, cool. We'll do Man of Steel then. So um, yeah, we'll be back with uh, Man of Steel and the Manchurian Candidate and all the other usual gubbins next week. Uh, dude and the monkey at gmail.com at Mark, uh, no, at dudefoss, at Ian Loring, at dude and the monkey. Anything else to say, Mark? Uh, no, I hope you enjoyed the episode. Uh, again, as always, iTunes reviews are very greatly received. Uh, and this will have been quite a long one, uh, I think, but uh, it was a double review show and we had a bit of a discussion about horror. So, boom. Hope you enjoyed it. There we go. Uh, thanks very much, guys, and we'll see you next week. Bye-bye. Bye bye. Bye.